Oh, Shell, take your break. You don't need to be here. Shell will be in the background for this podcast because she's not feeling great and is also making dinner. It's going to be a two-hour will-they-won't-they. They. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're going to get onto a topic that Shell wants to contribute to, and then she'll start and then saying she'll just, stuff She'll in walk the up to the microphone and just start talking to the microphone without putting <laughs> headphones on and just take over like an EDF. We, we speak from experience. <laughs> yeah. Because there was the it's EDF. Funny. The it's two things funny. that come to mind is the the EDF one where she starts doing, telling a monologue story about her like retail thing that happened, and like none of us can talk to her because she doesn't have headphones on. And then there was the um, what was it? Uh, like a twenty minute like back and forth of like whether or not we were going to play Last Will together or not. Uh. Like, yes, no, no, yes, <laughs> yes. And I'm like just, just, just pull the trigger, just pull the trigger. Let's go. <laughs> come on, it's fine. <laughs> You guys oh. remember uh, when I uh, used to eat a lot more potato chips on streams and stuff and recordings? Uh, I actually, for one of the very first times, I actually recorded myself because I was taking noise profiles of everything. So I was like, I'm going to take a noise profile of me eating a single potato chip. <laughs> That's really loud. It <laughs> I is. I totally get why you all were complaining because I just bit into it and I was like, good lord, every... <laughs> Every yep. like hurts across the entire spectrum. Just like it's a full one, straight up. <laughs> it's up there with like clinking like fork directly against uh, <laughs> bowl hey, in front of my. I took a noise profile of that one too. That one's not nearly as loud. You have no <laughs> excuse to complain about. I that. I don't know. The potato chip is less offensive. I think it's because it's not as um, harsh. Yeah, potentially. Speaking of offensive noises, during our nine 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 playthrough. On a regular basis, Andrew will just perfectly line himself up with the microphone and just do the fullest burp possible. And he's just encouraged by people being bothered by it. It's huh. just building yeah. at this point. So he's basically, uh, that's Rick Sanchez. Literally. A little bit. A little bit so remind yeah. me again why you haven't, like, just duct taped him, him to the couch every time you record? It's his couch. So? <laughs> And have to bring duct tape. Damn, good response. <laughs> Slip through his desk. Maybe you'll find duct tape in there. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. So, what have people been playing? I have Start been playing so many games. We've been yes, we've all been playing good games uh, lately. Yeah, this yep. week has been very good. Uh, I, according to Keith, I've been playing Battle Chess, which is <laughs> damn good. Uh, it's really pretty. Uh, it's actually called Battle Chasers, and it's based on the comic from the 90s that, uh, do you guys know much about, like, Darksiders or Vigil or anything like that, or no? Not nope. really. No. Okay, so, uh, Darksiders was a, a God of War, Legend of Zelda kind of hybrid that came out, uh, the main thing I can't. The main thing is I can't tell for sure whether or not that's the guy from Orcs Must Die. It is not. Because he looks exactly the same. I know, but, uh... Garrison precedes the the guy from Orcs Must Die uh, by about ten years, maybe more. Name's Garrison. Yep, that's his name. I let's guess I don't look, know. Let's look up comic pictures. Oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah up, there he is. Yeah, he's he's like he's like the protagonist from Orcs Must Die crossed with guts. Yeah, and uh, and wait, I this guess... guy's the protagonist. I no. thought it was the robot. No, the robot. The robot is okay. So I, I should preface this. It, let me let me finish the history of this game, sort of, 
okay. we'll get into the uh, the thing. Okay, so Darksiders was kind of the uh, the God of War's Legend of Zelda hybrid, and they were planning on making four games, one for each of the uh, Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Uh, and they made it to two before THQ bit the dust in a uh, pretty embarrassing way, taking down a number of its subsidiary companies. And since Darksiders 2 hadn't done that well, and like just in general... Uh, just in general, Vigil was kind of like one of their tertiary studios. Nobody like really bought it, so it was kind of in this limbo for a while. And so, well, uh, was it was it Deep Silver? It was Deep Silver that picked up um, the Saints Row team. Or was- I don't know. Yeah, uh, effectively, the Saints Row team got picked up real fast. These guys had to shut down. Uh-huh. Uh, at this point, THQ Nordic, uh, Nordic Entertainment picked up. THQ and other THQ Nordics. So, uh, so the weirdest thing to do, right, is like we were a re- we were a surviving company, and that other company totally died. Let's wear their moniker. Yeah, I, <laughs> and then well, we'll, we'll embody their guess, failures. <laughs> Nordic Nordic is kind of uh, the like northern version of Focus Home Entertainment, where it's like kind of p- publishes some, like games people know about, like firmly, uh, whereas people remember the name a. THQ. Uh and so I think they're hoping to cash in on the uh, on the THQ name as kind of a, a way of bringing bringing it to the household name as opposed to you know keeping it outside. I don't know, whatever. Uh, but so they hired some people back, but the main team from Vigil actually went on to fire uh, fire uh, hiring like most of the team back as Airship Syndicate, uh, and they are actually under uh, THQ Nordic again, but they're not working on the Darksiders series. Instead, they decided to revive the the lead guy, Joe Madura. They decided to revive his, like, 20-year-old comic that he had kind of abandoned. I I was confused. Revive the lead guy was like, wait, they practiced necromancy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, this. They brought this comic back from the dead. (laughs) And and as such, uh, they've made uh, Battle Chasers Night War, which... I don't actually know how it fits in the chronology. I own the comics now, but I have not actually looked into them at all. Um, Is that but, what you were talking about in Persona when you said you were reading a bunch of superhero comics? No, no. I was at Barnes oh. & Noble, and oh, I had okay. nothing to do, so I just anyway, read superhero you- comics. Yeah. Um, but so they revived his product to make a video game that is effectively, as far as I can tell, a love letter to Final Fantasy, uh, Final Fantasy X. Just straight up. I mean, obviously, there's more than that, but it's got that, like, uh, initiative system. It's got uh, uh, kind of the deepish RPG re- mechanics, but it's still turn-based and stuff. Uh, and I, I I, am simplifying it really hard, but it is actually, like, a really solid product. It's probably one of the best turn-based RPGs I've played in years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm playing it right now because it's fun. Um, How does that so work into your, your series recording? Is it, like, a weird, like, are you just, like, not saving or something? Uh, so it's got, uh, so it's got a dungeon system that are, like, it, it does the kind of boring procedural generation thing, uh, where... Oh, I should grind West of Loathing while we do this. <laughs> Hang on. Um, yeah, so it, it, it does the thing where the oh, dungeons crap. are procedurally... Oh, no. oh, no. Okay, we're The good. dungeons are procedurally generated. You're not actually supposed to, uh, do them that many times. There's three difficulty levels, and you can repeat them if you want to, but you don't uh-huh. have to. I'm just doing it because I actually really enjoy the game. Uh, but so every time you beat it, you get a chest, and the chest has 
uh, you know, some bit of equipment kind of, it, it doesn't quite do the Borderlands thing where it just like remixes every bit of equipment, but there's definitely like a, uh, there's definitely like some amount of just like, here's, uh, your purple weapon. It has these stats. It's, <laughs> it's a purple weapon, huh? Okay. Yeah. You know, the, the <laughs> standard MMO like scaling equipment. Yeah. That doesn't feel yeah, like too big a deal. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it's, I don't know, it's just really well made from, like, a mechanic standpoint, and it's also gorgeous, because the main, the main guy that made it, uh, Joe Madura, is a comic book artist, so it's just generally oh, one of the shows, prettier games. Man. Yeah. The animations, I don't want to steal your thunder, but you should, you should talk about those real quick, because they're so gorgeous. They have, like, these really exaggerated animations uh and like two of the two of the main characters uh there's calibretto who's like this giant robot and there's gully who's this like little girl uh with giant power fists uh she had star boxing gloves for a little while but i've cycled that out uh for actual power fists now uh but calibretto is this giant war machine druid mm-hmm and he just has the best animations ever whenever he punches. It's just, like, kind of uh, hop forward and just this, like, wonderful sweeping arc of uh, punching goodness. I don't know. It's it's hard to it's, describe, but it's yeah, so without satisfying. without sounding stupid, but it is really satisfying, yeah. Well, the way that it works is that, like, it's clearly modeled after, like, a boxer doing an uppercut. So yeah. it's not just, like, it's this, it's this beautiful animation that just really stands out because... You feel it, and it's because there's so much, like, wind-up to the punch, and then when the punch itself actually gets thrown, you can trace it, like, starting from their foot, and you just watch the energy of this animation move from this character's foot through their leg into their torso, and then they finally twist their upper body within, like, a punch, and it's just, it's art. It's so beautifully animated, and, like, every attack just has something to it. But his standout as being like just above and beyond, just wonderful to look at. Oh yeah, the game looks like it just was... has like really strong keyframes. Oh, it does. It's, like just it's really, awesome. really good silhouettes, really good like poses yep. and anatomy. Like when you, it's weird, like you look at the um, the Steam screenshots and they look like paintings, even though they're like screenshots yeah. of like everyone standing there ready, ready, ready for combat. And you yep, and yeah. like I like looking at the screenshots. I would expect the game to be a bunch of two dimensional characters that are motion twinning because of how much it looks like a painted thing as opposed to a three D model, which I'm yeah, pretty sure. That, but I'm pretty sure they're three D. But I mean, aren't they? Yeah, the, uh, aren't they three D models uh, in combat? Well, they are three D. Uh, so the cutscenes, the cutscenes will often be uh, like kind of the two D. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that uh, cost saving measure. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. They've like got the that like two D thing. Comic. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's motion comics. I actually yeah. like that though. It I don't need much for a cutscene, and if it's totally still images that look great, I mm-hmm. could care. I I could not care less. Um, and so I don't know. It doesn't bug me at all. It's been um, I, it's it can go super bad and super good from game to oh, game. Yeah. It there's there's really yes. bad motion comic cutscenes in some games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this one did it real well. Uh I'm a little bit concerned about I mean, how long I play it is. Jumper, is it short? I don't know actually. Uh, so part oh. of it is they gave me the beta because I I kickstarted up to the beta tier, um, and I uh-huh. actually I actually thought this was just going to be like a demo, 
I thought this was going to just be this this short thing that um that you know like maybe I do a couple episodes on. And then the one of the developers showed up in my chat and he's like, no, 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 you have the full game up to level 15, and then like in three weeks the full game comes out and then you can keep going. And I'm like, that's Dang. a lot more substantial than I thought. Like I thought this was this was gonna be like Dauntless, which is you know, this kind of incomplete thing, and they were gonna launch early access or something. I'm like, that's a bad move. And it's like, no, here's mm-hmm. just more or less the demo of the game plus a couple of bugs that we haven't ironed out yet. Have fun. And I am having fun, actually. And help uh, us iron out the, those bugs. Yeah. <laughs> I have yet to uh, run into... <laughs> yeah, I ran into one bug where I got soft-locked in a, into a jail cell. Uh, but you can save and quit out to the menu, and it just brought brought me back out. No big deal. Um, okay. But otherwise, it's been flawless. Um... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what Aside to say. From it's that, nothing there's not but really much to say about it. I mean, yeah. based off of what I saw, that pretty much describes the whole experience. Pretty straightforward. That's, I have yeah. um, I played something. I was I revisited something interesting recently that I think is kind of worth discussing from earlier podcast, which is uh, I went back to Yakuza Zero for a bit. I had uh, oh yeah, isn't there a new Yakuza game coming out? Yakuza Kawaii's out or Kawami or whatever. Yeah, I mix I mix it wanna... up with. I mixed it up yep. with I think as a different name used for the Tuikiden game, so I don't know. Oh, Tuikiden, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, so they, yeah, they they just came out with the remake of Yakuza One, which is which mm-hmm. is what I just called that thing I just said that I'm not entirely always remembering the name of. Uh, so that's going to be interesting. But I had a loose end I needed to follow up on in the orig- in the uh, the prequel game that came out earlier this year, and so I wanted to finish up that before I started it, and. Uh-huh. It was interesting revisiting the the like meta progression system from Yakuza Zero because it's actually like really interesting because it incentivizes open world side questing in a way that I don't haven't really seen before. Because the way that the game works is you don't get experience, you only make money. So it's a, it's uh-huh. a little like it's that it's that weird system of Dark Souls where like one thing is the stuff you spend at stores slash use to level up at the same time. Yeah, and they basically use every single system that I hate in other games and meld them together into a single thing that actually works surprisingly well, which is that they have this weird system where you level up by using money on yourself. Like you basically, your character eats money, basically your protagonist. And it's like, uh, he doesn't (laughs) literally eat money. Yeah. He doesn't like, he doesn't like eat money on camera literally, but like he, Mm -hmm. you you quote unquote invest in yourself and just spend money becoming more Uh powerful somehow, which Mm -hmm. who knows how that works. Uh, but there's also a system where once you get like into like chapter five or so of the game, you get what it, what is uh, usually a really ugly, nasty sign for me, which is you unlock, uh, you unlock, uh, a real estate system, which is always like, <laughs> uh-huh. oh, fuck off when it's like you buy, yeah. the, buy these stores and they'll make money on intervals and you can use them to buy more stores and stuff like that. So but basically they, the Skinner box that keeps GTA 5 going. Yeah, all the way down to having like a timer of like waiting for bars to fill up for the next time that they're uh, ready to pay out over and over again. Uh-huh. So it's like a cross between like the Facebook shit I hate and the Assassin's Creed fable stuff that was like never never worked for those games anyway. But what they do that's interesting is that uh, in order to make the properties more valuable, you need to send advisors to them, and the based on how good the advisor is in that particular skill set, they'll they'll be increased. They'll increase the income of that particular building, and uh-huh. and so the issue is that you don't just get advisors. The, advisors are not like you don't go to like a marketplace and buy advisors or just have some ethereal concept of what an advisor is. 
what happens is you do the side quests in the game all throughout the entire game, and there's tons of them, like over a hundred of them. And when mm-hmm. you finish various side quests or quest chains or something, you'll meet various side characters that you help out. And then they want to help you out, so they offer to uh, come come on board as a worker at your at your uh, real estate, uh, whatever it's called, business. I forgot the actual word you'd call it. Real estate brokerage, I guess. Firm, and they'll be, they'll maybe? be yeah, I don't real really estate. Know what call yeah, it. you're right. Real estate firm is what you'd call it. Okay. So, so all these characters you meet that are actual characters you've talked to and interacted with will slowly trickle in as employees of your company, and uh-huh. one by one you'll have like this growing roster of people you can use to actually uh, properly take advantage of everything and like increase your income to then make more money to then level your character up slash invest in more stuff that makes you more money and so on. So like already you're, or you're incorporating story into your progression system in a really interesting way by doing that. Mm-hmm. And then, but then they also did a cool thing, which is they made the actual uh, process of taking over the entire uh, map for real estate purposes into its own side campaign with its own side story. That is, not of comparable lengths to the main story, but has a similar thing where, like, it has actual, like, arcs for characters and, like, rising huh. and falling action and climaxes and uh, and even, mm. like, reveals and twists. <laughs> it's like a... Like the, it's such a ridiculously impressive game. And then your reward for finishing the entire thing is you is this entire game you've had... You start off with one fighting style and you quickly pick up two other ones... Just as part of main story stuff, and then the whole thing is you can press three different D-pad directions to switch between fighting styles, and that's the core gameplay. You unlock a fourth fighting style by finishing the entire real estate storyline, which in itself has its own, it has its own gameplay style, it has its own skill tree, it has its own unique like execution animations and environmental kills, and like it's like so much work goes into the super hidden content that's so hard to get to. Like. I didn't think I'd be able to come back to this game three months later and get re-impressed by it, basically, by going into the system. But Yakuza 0 is like a ridiculously well-thought-out game. The only time that it falters is that I just spent the last day or so kind of suffering in it because uh, it's not... This this thing, this thing I just did, finishing the real estate story, is not Let's Play friendly. The main it, story. it seems like it's a lot of like content that you kind of have to just churn through. Yeah, mm-hmm. so like it's it's one of those things like what well, I'll probably bring it up later for State of Decay also is that it's something that's yeah. really elegantly designed for normal people playing the game because normal people will actually engage in all those different like open world mechanics and stuff like that and that'll burn time which then means that every time they look they'll have way more time to keep checking back at the real estate place and keep progressing and stuff like that. Oh, uh-huh. But I just did side story. I did a I did like probably 60 to 70% of the side stories and all of the main stories and no real side activities or just faffing about or just wasting time in the sandbox like you're supposed to do in a sandbox. So mm-hmm. I was behind. So I basically spent like 6 hours listening to podcasts and just waiting for meters to fill up. Over the last like twenty four <laughs> hours, and it was miserable because I just was trying yeah. to get this final that, episode that part done. Sounds I wanted like raw ass. It was real rough, and but anytime like, you introduce real time mechanics, yeah, is just yeah. the most painful. But like at the same or time, I get it because like, like a sane human being would just be like, "I'm just playing a game for fun," and they'd be like, "I'm gonna go yeah. bowling now, and I'm gonna go to the dance place and stuff like that, or I'm gonna play karaoke." And and you you wouldn't be focusing just on drive making the sandbox. And, yeah, like, you wouldn't be focusing on on finishing those meters out of obligation to your YouTube audience. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very me you, problem, but man, it sucks. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Usually at that point, I just write off that specific thing unless I actually have to do it. Yeah. Like I just, Riddler trophies. I, I promised I was yeah. going to do it Ugh. because I got like I got like 60 to 70-ish percent through specifically that storyline. But then I was like, but then this main story started picking up and I'm like, oh, we got to crank through this because I don't want to do interruptions in the main story with how much it's picking up right now. And then it was just this awkward loose end that I had mostly done but hadn't finished. And so I wanted yeah. to get around to it. No, I had to do that with Hollow Knight. The just like small amount of side content there, and I'm like, I'm almost at a hundred percent here. I should probably just go do it. <laughs> yeah. And then it bugged out, and I'm still at ninety nine. Oh, yeah. The the game oh, had this. No. Horrible... I assume they released a a, pa- a patch for it that yep. needs you to delete your save game or no, something. right? I, I'm sure it's fixed now because it was fixed when the DLC came out. The first mm. DLC came out. And just at that point, I was so out of practice. I knew I can't do it. Right. Yeah. Um. But it was a bug that whenever you hit an enemy, the game would freeze for like a little while because oh, the game uh-huh. was made in Unity, uh-huh. uh, which was super bad. Like you do not want to have to deal with that. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so I had to put the game down. I beat every boss, the secret boss, every bit of content except for the final arena. And then I was just like, well, I guess I'll just come back mm-hmm. to this at some point. I mean, it's not <laughs> like it was story content or I even had the secret ending. Mm-hmm. It's that one percent, <laughs> the one percent oh. that will haunt you forever and yeah. ever. So, oh, in addition to the games that I've been playing lately, or that we talked about last time, I've been playing Sonic Mania. Did we talked about Sonic Mania on the last podcast. I don't think, I don't we don't have. I don't think so, but you, I can now too. Because I've pl- yeah, I've we played, both have played Sonic I've Mania. I played a few hours of it. It's really good. It's solid. I enjoy it a lot. I am waiting to hear if Keith agrees with me, in which case I feel good about myself, or disagrees with me, in which I, case I feel like an idiot. I believe it's kind I, of reinforcing for tweet. me how much I think I'm not a Wait. Sonic fan. Oh, yeah, interesting. I believe I saw a tweet or a message from Keith, though, saying that it was the first Sonic game where he enjoyed a boss fight in it. Yeah, Dang. I've played like 15 <laughs> boss... I think I've played like 15 Sonic games now, and there's never been a single good boss fight ever. It's yeah. been, a, um, it's no, been amazing. And I'll remind you, this is the franchise where one of the quote-unquote good ones of the 3D ones was a uh, Sonic Adventure 2, and the uh-huh. it's all about the showdown between Sonic and Shadow, and then when you're playing as Sonic or Shadow and you finally face off against the other one, and they just, just dump you, attack and hope for yeah, the best. Yeah, they they just dump you in a green square in the middle of a of the middle of a jungle, and your opponent will literally just hit A twice over and over again. They'll oh. just jump and then homing attack <laughs> over and over again. So if you get out of their way, they'll jump and homing attack into the wall forever. Because mm-hmm. yep. they didn't even program AI into the primary showdown of their entire game. <laughs> I I would so, yeah, routinely... Sonic Mania is really impressive. But compared I to would this routinely stuff. have Shadow dive off the side in those boss fights and be like, so I have to restart this, right? And you could hear him blow being like, ah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You get that a genuine old. worry of like, they don't. I don't think they tried. But yeah, no. Sonic Mania, my main complaint is just like there's I I kind of think I just prefer just don't uh, like the gameplay. platformers where I know where I'm going and what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like with Sonic, it's these huge levels and you don't really have any indication of whether where like things are. You just yeah. know if I go towards the right, I'll eventually like uncover my thing. And I mean, you know, it, it's Sonic Mania. It's probably one of the most fan servicey video games I've ever played in my entire life. And, like, I guess in a lot of ways, if you've played Sonic, 
recently, then you probably don't need to play Sonic Mania because it's basically just a port. But uh, if you not... haven't played it and you want a lot of, um, you know, nostalgia so, factor, then go for it. <laughs> so the breakdown for Sonic Mania is that supposedly that it's one third remade, uh, reused old old maps from the old 2D games, one third remixed ones where they use the setting to and make new stuff. As well. Mm -hmm. And then there's a one-third where it's literally unique new content. Yep. And so if you know that going in, you probably won't feel ripped off. There's definitely like a weird moment of like, wait, I've done this level. Why are they selling me this level again? Like, I think <laughs> you start off in Green Hill Zone and I'm like, wait a minute here. Wait yeah, a minute. That's... You're not tricking me. <laughs> <laughs> you, do, you do a couple of your of the greatest hits, so to speak. You do uh, Green Hill Zone. You do Hydra City Zone. I've done um, the Oil Factory Zone. And then... um this underwater level i can't remember what it's even called but uh i've probably done about five um i think i've done maybe like seven or eight acts and i'd say like half of them have been uh effectively ones that i look at and go like that's that's cool i've played this or i've played this also now there's like a boat or like something really <laughs> cool uh and that's like thrown in um, when you hit the uh, levels that have a new gimmick, you're really aware of the gimmick because the game will yes. use that gimmick very heavily in that level yes. in some cases, like maybe yes. too much. Like the one with, I remember there one one where there's like DNA strand elevators where I felt like I did it 17 times in a row in the level. And there was one uh, with the... Oh, I know which part you're talking about. That's a really weird way to describe it. But there's yes, DNA strand yeah, elevators. Or, or there's ones where it's like, this is the one that has the the uh, the weird bouncy gel, and you're like, you need that bouncy gel to navigate through every room in the entire level, practically. Like yeah. the, the balance is different from how it used to be in the older ones, where it's like, the other ones would be like, this is the level with, the, here's the part with the rotating cubes. They show up like three times in the level, as opposed to like being the whole level. Mm -hmm. But it also, but the overabundance of certain mechanics definitely feels like it has more focus than some of the older levels did when they would kind of just throw a thing at you twice, then forget about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, uh, so the thing is, and I complained about this on one of my episodes, um, that the, uh, the Sonic franchise, in my opinion, is super notorious about doing this with the early titles, especially you'll go through a level and then all of a sudden you'll happen upon a gimmick that you'll have no idea what to do with it. Like, yeah. you don't get any explanation of, like, what the new mechanic is that's just suddenly, like, thrown in your face, and the level will come to a dead standstill while you figure it out. And bear in mind, you're under a 10-minute timer, so if it takes you, like, eight minutes to figure out, like, oh, I have to press up in rhythm <laughs> randomly, something I've never done for the entire game, then you can die. And that sucks. There's also a weird thing where they, they keep sticking with the idea of having 10 minute time limits. Yeah. But now it's like the levels are getting... The levels themselves are way longer than I remember Sonic levels being normally. And then they mm -hmm. also end with a boss fight that is absurdly longer than they normally are in boss in uh, Sonic games. Because in a Sonic game, a boss pops in for three seconds and you like hit him four times and he's gone before you can even see the move set because of how like brief and yeah. nothing the og sonic 2d boss fights used to be but now uh -huh. they stuck they've stuck with the same 10 minute time limit that a lot of people might not even know might not even know existed in sonic games because you never ever <laughs> actually ran out of time because uh -huh. how would you spend 10 minutes in most sonic levels 
But in a in this game, you'll be fighting a boss for like two minutes sometimes, and you're like actually at risk <laughs> of running out of time. Like there's a boss fight where you play Mean Green Bean Machine, and it's like that's not exactly a snappy encounter. I, I no, was really but that was also really fun. <laughs> yes, I'm super amused that it's there, but at the same time, I'm like this game has time limits. Like I, I encountered yeah. the Metal Sonic bo- boss fight and the uh, Eggman like in a weird spider mech boss fight and stuff like that, and I'm like this is a uh, I'm gonna run out of time it's flashing at me i didn't know it could do that but it's flashing mm-hmm. at me now am i almost there it'd just be a really disappointing way reason to lose a level and i don't know if that's their design i don't i don't know if anyone really like put the uh time limit there with that in mind as a specific mechanic where as opposed to just being the what nostalgic properties do which is literally just use something because it was there the first time so we got to keep it <laughs> I don't I don't know if anyone was like, yeah, the time limit. We're making a conscious decision to keep this here as opposed to just taking it for granted I, that it should be there. I kind of agree. That's a really interesting way to take on it. Um when I when I was playing, I commented like it seems like they've kept the good and the bad of Sonic in a lot of ways. In like, certain ways. There's there's some bad parts where like, yeah, you can run through the level and you have no idea what's gonna what's actually in front of you at any given time. Or just the general screw you attitude to the co-op partner. Yeah, and then like, um, else, uh, the the bonus sphere levels are still hard as shit. They're so difficult, and uh, I mean that's kind of at least they they had the the common sense to not make those be what you do to get the chaos emeralds anymore. No, the new chaos emerald minigame is actually really really neat. The new minigame is really cool. You I play, like it a lot. You play like weird Sonic the Hedgehog like Mario Kart. Yeah, it's really cool. I'm terrible at it. <laughs> it takes I've only some, gotten some like of them... four out of, the, out of the Chaos Emeralds yet, and I'm probably 75% of the way through the game. So I might reach the end of the game and not see Super Saiyan Sonic, which would really suck. I think I just I hit four happen. of them so far. Uh, we, oh, played, we played sorry. for like two hours. Uh-huh. Uh, I did the first three or so on my first try, then I hit the weird one that has, like, the super high jumps and, like, a really weird layout that has, seems to have I shortcuts stuck you can jump into. I stuck in that one forever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I failed that one four times before I finally passed it. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened to me. Is like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. They made an entirely different mechanic set from scratch. It makes mm-hmm. me wonder what would happen if these people that they used from the community and and modders and whatnot that came together to make this sonic mania like what would they what they would do if they tried to make a 3d sonic because that's already really interesting and like Mm -hmm. that that race course track is way more balanced and playable and interesting than than any any of the 3d sonic Sonic games (laughs) have you have you seen the sonic was it the sonic green hill zone more or less that uh people have made in 3d recently no i haven't seen that there was the there was a yeah a guy tried to make like an entire open world Sonic environment was the goal basically. So he used the tile yeah. set from Green Hill Zone with the the checkerboard floor and everything of green, but mm-hmm. uh, it was like a full roaming area you could run around like it was like a level of Jet Grind Radio or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. it looked really good. Obviously, super rough because it's a one man product. But I'll I remember maybe playing a, a Green more- Hill Zone level in a prop hunt. Does that count? Yeah. <laughs> well, it did actually kind of look like that zone, just in terms of like layout. I hope it looked better because that prop hunt level was awful. It honestly well, didn't look I'm... much better because it was like a bare bones indie project thing that somebody <laughs> yeah. made for, for fun. It, it, I didn't it have just super cool high that... opinions of it because like 
it works as a basic uh, proof of concept of like a guy being able to run around the open, but without mm-hmm. a goal or things to do, it it's kind of stunk of being like Banjo Kazooie nuts and bolts, where it's just a big open nothing zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sonic does not do well with open world. It was just kind of neat from a one man tech demo of like, yeah. hey, this is a thing that could actually be really good if you know somebody actually sat down and put the time into it. Um, instead of you know just trying to rush it out for that sweet Just sweet christmas money was yeah. sonic boom a year ago or that's like two or three uh, years ago that was two years yeah, ago sonic okay boom is about two or three years ago okay and we, I, no we've got sonic forces this year so there there might have not even sl- moved yet when sonic boom came out i might have oh. still lived in a different town that was a nightmare game <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, the whole thing. You can't overstate how bad Sonic Boom is. It's just one oh. of the worst video games ever put together. I I was rewatching the Game Grumps play it and I was like, damn, this is yeah. actually irredeemable. I There's love a- the opening cutscene of that game. It's like it starts in the middle of all the Sonic characters are like basically dying, and then like Sonic himself gets sucked into a portal or whatever. And then they're all like, Sonic, no. And then it's there's like a like a black screen and it says like three days earlier, dot dot dot. And I was like, that's like what I did when I was writing stories in middle school. Yeah, that <laughs> I admittedly that's the Thor Ragnarok trailer, so <laughs> But like that's literally like I wrote a story where like it opens with all the characters being like, oh no, oh no. What's going to happen to us? And then it's like that chapter ends with it being like uh, previously or something like that. And I was like, wow, they really aped a mechanic. The funny thing <laughs> they is, aped like, a writing I... technique used by like 11 year olds. <laughs> the funny thing is, like, I played that game all the way through and I can't even remember what you're talking about. I'm just like it's trying literally and I can't. like a five second t- cutscene at the very yeah. start of the game. I know Sonic <laughs> in the Black Knight, I think, opens up. Maybe it's I, it's hard to tell. I think there's multiple Sonic games that open up with Sonic being at like a picnic or hanging out with friends and getting sucked into a portal or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that up was in a different setting. Uh, that was definitely Sonic Generations where the, he's at a pit- picnic and then sucked into a portal. Unless mm-hmm. that also happens in Black Knight. Yeah, I don't. I don't. That's funny. Oh God, it does happen in Sonic Generations. That's really funny. Oh no, I think oh, in Sonic Generations God. you're in the perspective of him being with his friends and then getting sucked into a portal. I think in Sonic and the Black Knight you you see Oh yeah, it's some poor little like princess girl that's like, I'm in I'm in danger, what am I gonna do in medieval land? And like, oh no, evil <laughs> shadow but in armor is attacking me or something like that. And then she summons uh and I think she, I think he's she like summons help, like you would summon like mm-hmm. Bahamut or something, but it's fucking Sonic the Hedgehog shows up. <laughs> Sonic, Sonic the, Hedgehog. the Mary Sue. And I think he's like yeah, holding on to a chili dog and trying to juggle it while fighting and stuff while not knowing where he is. <laughs> so here's the thing. Here's a I'm not somebody who pays attention to like video game releases except for super duper recently, because I didn't have money for a really long time. Um but basically, any new game releases in the past, like, from 2016 to 2005 or six, I basically didn't pay attention to whatsoever. So, yeah. in my mind, what was that Sonic What was that Sonic game that came out that was, like, the first one that everyone was like, oh, this is really shitty. 
like Sonic was running around. Sonic there was a whale. 6. He was hanging around with like the, the human 6. beings. Sonic 06. Yeah. I mean, the whale was Sonic Adventure. That was Dreamcast. DX. Was that From DX? my perspective, no, no, it was Sonic 06. From okay. my perspective, for the longest time, I didn't realize they actually released any games since Sonic 06. And they oh. kept releasing more and more 3D Sonic games. And my just, every time I saw new screenshots from them, I just thought, huh, Sonic 06 is a much longer game than I thought it would be. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and now I'm just realizing, like, wait, there were, like, six since Sonic yeah. 06. There were oh, a yeah. lot. <laughs> that is They've my been making one or Assassin's two Creed. every year for an eternity. Yeah, Assassin's Creed is the same thing for me. Like somebody was asking me if I was going to play the new Assassin's Creed that's coming out apparently in a and, month, and I'm and like, for you, you're like, I don't know how many one? it's been <laughs> since last time. Yeah. yeah, I tried playing three and it was shit. So I yep, three was gave up me. on the idea of it. Yeah, I oh, played, I started with three because I was like, oh, it's oh. Fourth of July. Let's play American Revolution. Ah. Where's the American Revolution? <laughs> Four hours nope. later, I give up. I'm going to bed. <laughs> Four hours later, I you remember you're watching you, that stream. You, you, hours later you change characters because <laughs> yeah Psych, well, that's the what starting happened. character isn't even the actual character you play as i was like i was just trying to get through it i was like okay we'll switch it'll time time skip and it's like no time to teach your fat friend how to hunt i'm like why <laughs> <laughs> i don't want this it was awful it's really funny <laughs> wow but Sonic, well, I, yeah. So Sonic Mania. <laughs> to talk about that again, um, good. I I really enjoy it. I mean, they priced it correctly. Twenty dollars is uh, is a good price. I feel very fair for what you're getting. Um, and there, there's just like lots of little like parts that kind of stuck out as like fan servicey, but they're kind of cool at the same time. Well, yeah, Keith mentioned there's a boss fight where you're playing. Dr. Robotnik's Mean Green Jelly Machine, or whatever the hell it's called. Mean Green Bean Machine. Yeah, which is a Tetris clone. So it's a, you... No, it's a Dr. Mario clone. It's close enough. They're it different. Is, <laughs> they are different. Anyway, so you play... Like, <laughs> there's a boss fight where like, all of a sudden you're playing uh, Tetris. And that was like really fun. And then there's another boss fight later on where... Uh, you play as Dr. Robotnik's character and you have to defeat Dr. Robotnik who's playing as like where Sonic's role was in the original game when that happened. Yeah. I don't know if you got that far yet, Keith, but it's only, only like two the hours second in. underwater level. Which one? I'm only like two hours in. Okay. Well, at one point, like, I don't know. You probably don't have a whole lot of nostalgia for this one way or the other, but at one point there's a, uh, there's this like just total inversion where you uh in the original game dr robotnik basically summoned these um like you were in like a bunch of water and dr robotnik summoned these whirlpool things that went up into the air and you had to ride those up and then jump and hit dr robotnik to damage him uh in this you play as you you're piloting the machine that creates the whirlpools and you have to suck uh like the boss into some propeller blades at the bottom of your ship and uh, I really liked that moment a lot. That was a lot of fun. And overall, I mean, I'm hella impressed with the programming behind it, too. Because it feels 
like the greatest Sega Genesis port I've ever seen in my entire life. It's like dead on accurate, the movement and um the glitches it's, it's and it's definitely doing a bunch of stuff that could not be done on the Genesis though. It is, so, like, but m- at the same time, it. it's awesome. <laughs> this ain't no Shovel Knight where it was like, a, we, this literally was made to run on a Nintendo or something like that. Listen we're going to print it on cartridges. I wanted to say, I really want to play a game that's effectively just Mario Maker, but you play as Eggman, and <laughs> you have to put, the, put together a level that will stop Sonic. People <laughs> have made those games, and they always suck. I know, but it Isn't, was so... Fun. I mean, not a platformer, but isn't that kind of what uh, what Dungeon Keeper yeah. is? Yeah. Dungeon Keeper it, was like that. Exactly, except for, like, I kind of want to flip. But Dungeon Pe- Keeper was good, and every other game that's ever attempted yeah. that mechanic fails miserably yeah, at it. Yeah, like, I, I did a short stint of trying to play a couple of them, and they were just miserable. Um, they all suck. I tried playing <laughs> War for the Overworld, which was, like, almost this, like an actually good product uh because at first you really were spending your time uh defending your dungeon and then eventually it just went full uh rts and i was just like wait what no don't do that Uh (laughs) like let me go back to defending my dungeon with my monsters and like they just immediately had the enemies mining through the wall straight at my like dungeon core and i'm like What's the point of having defense rooms if they just go around it? I kind of gave up on that. It was at how that point. I felt about when we first played Orcs Must Die Unchained in the, uh, yeah. the beta, and like the beta version of uh, Orcs Must Die Unchained originally had freaking like kobolds that would come in and uh, they'd like immediately blow up all your traps, and you would like like I saved up for oh, like yeah. five minutes to make one trap, and you blew it up immediately. Or it wasn't kobolds; it was like guys that would literally disable it and just turn it yeah, off. Yeah, they would zap mm-hmm. it. With, like, like, electricity, like, and it would just be Yeah, it was awful. Yep. Uh, uh, but yeah, that's pretty much all there is to say about Sonic Mania that I can think of. Yeah, there's not much to talk about. It's just, it's uh, they made another 2D Sonic that has a bunch of new ideas of, like, mechanics along the way. And yep. by which I mean only environmental mechanics, not, like, Sonic the turns thing- inside out now or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> who the hell would want to see that? The thing uh, I'd say Sonic about- Unleashed 2. <laughs> Mm. The thing I would say about uh, Sonic Mania is if if Sega is smart, they're just going to have that team keep working on Sonic like 2D games beyond just this one as kind of official releases. If they're smart. I would kind of hope so, because it's good stuff. It's good stuff. And if they want to keep making bad Sonic games, I'll keep playing those, because it's really funny. (laughs) It's really funny. Yeah, we have uh, Sonic Forces is November, right? (laughs) Sonic OC do not steal. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching that. Holy shit. (laughs) They finally capitalized on the market that they had all along, which was people Uh, wanting to make Greg the Hedgehog. Oh, we're going to (laughs) hurt someone's feelings with that playthrough. (laughs) I actually want to play it and just... uh, like, I want to buy the game and just keep making Sonic OCs like every episode is a new OC. I don't even <laughs> every play. episode is a new uh, OC. Yeah, I don't uh, even play the game. I just make characters the whole <laughs> way through. Want, Sonic Forces never leave character creator challenge. <laughs> well, no, it's, uh, it's, it would be the uh, original character do not steal challenge. And that would be the point Jesus. of it. That's a funny one. That's a funny idea. 
I admit, I've more often than once played a game and spent way too long this character oh, creation man. again and again and again and again. And the again. other thing that would be magic Shell. is Shell's never Hi. played or experienced. I feel a lot better now that I've eaten. Uh, oh, good. Oh, you you me made too. food, but you didn't make any for me? I just made fries. <laughs> I just made fries. Apparently, potato is just really satisfying. Okay. Why, do you want some? No. I mean, it smells good, but I'll live. Um... <laughs> Magic idea is actually having Shell play it. I don't think I could stand it, but having her play a Sonic game without ever having even experienced what one looks like before. Hey, hey, I be I magical. played PlayStation One Sonic with my cousin for how that, long? That was like oh, the you side played one of the worst one. ones. Then there was a PS One Sonic. I think so. She might be thinking I, of the Dreamcast. Well, I'm trying to remember what systems she and her brothers had. Because I know that they had a PlayStation 1 and a PlayStation 2. I'm just trying to I think mean, of what they, nightmare they you might have played. Like Sonic <laughs> Fighters or something? Like, no, no, no. no. I I, all I remember is that one. it was a side-scroller. You were going like on platforms and collecting coins. That was that was it. Hmm. Were they coins or oh, rings? Um, she might Sonic CD. Did that come out on PS1? No, but... Like, that's a CD-based game, and it's a 2D one, so... But what human could she have come in contact with that would own a Sega CD? Uh, I don't know, I man. Mean, They're like five bucks cousins. if you want to buy one They made, like, three of them. <laughs> I had one I of them. <laughs> how, mu how much is a Sega CD? Um... I mean, they could have had the Sega system. What was the one that would have come out around the time of the PlayStation 1 Dreamcast. before that? Because... Okay, because her or, brothers are much Saturn, older. One or the other. Maybe, maybe they had a Saturn. I mean, her brothers yeah. were much older than she was, so it's likely that they they had like the original Game Boys, the big ones. So they probably um, got things from the late eighties. I had friends that had the big ones, and I was just like, "Why would you buy this? This seems like my first Game Boy awful. was the Pocket, which I think came <laughs> after the big ones. That's why, was, that's why it was called the Pocket. Ninety dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Get the hell out of town with that. Wow. I would... I can buy, like, a better console that's um, not <laughs> 30 years old. Yeah, you can get a PS2 for, for, for that price. price. Yeah. You oh, both guys. defaulted to different PlayStations. So. <laughs> you both, that's pretty... Wow. And you both said it at the exact same time from my perspective. So it's like, you could buy a PlayStation 2-3 at that price. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I just wanted Try the to new say this. 2.5 is a three and a two stacked together somehow <laughs> worse. Um, people have been asking over the course of this podcast, whether we'll be playing Divinity Original Sin 2 or not. Yes. Yes. All of us. People we ask can't if we'll play wait. Dying Light. We can, we'll not talk for over each other and the game. Yeah. <laughs> Whose line I'm, is it anyway? No so one knows. I, I still don't know what race I want to be. Didn't they add the undead recently and they yeah, can they wear did. people's faces? I, I think we should all be undead. <laughs> yes. Well, what was it? They rip their faces uh, off and wear them? you can impersonate NPCs and shit. <laughs> I, I think we should no. all be I think like, we should all be undead. You can kill an NPC and wear their face and play the game as them? <laughs> yeah, probably not for very long. I think it only is useful <laughs> it probably in certain rots circumstances. Away. Or falls oh my off. god! It is That's such a it's idea hella to have. metal, and I kind of want to horrible. Just, <laughs> I I just want to have like evil death goody two shoes team where we're like well, terrible the, the elves terrible are cannibals. people trying to save the world. So 
Yeah, the Divinity Universe is not a happy place based on the two I've played so far. It's not a great time. Good luck. Uh, Jesus. So I I finished State of Decay. Um, That is a weird mess. (laughs) It's such a weird mess. It's cool for all the reasons I thought it was going to be. Because you just uh-huh. you just get thrown into this world where you have uh, you like have a settlement and your settlement has resources and a population of people and all those people are their own characters with their own face and name even though they are like character generator people uh, and so like you'll have uh, you'll build up little pieces of your base like this is the watchtower and this is the medical station and whoever the local expert is that out of all the people you have will sort of elect to like man those locations whenever you're not controlling them and stuff like that. And, like, people have day-night cycle, like, sleep patterns, and people get tired, and you can hot-swap between characters as you go, and if you die, you lose that character forever, and, and you have to do, make do with the other characters, so the number of people you have is kind of like how many lives you have, but the lives themselves uh-huh. can be killed off-camera if you're not keeping the actual location safe of, like, from plague and whatnot, or z- zombie infestations. And that you sounds go around- like a zombie game that I thought I wanted Fortnite to be, exactly. but it wasn't. <laughs> And like yeah. you go around yeah. and scavenge outposts, and you like here's you go through other people's like abandoned houses and go through their garages and find resources and medicine and building supplies. And if you can't, mm-hmm. if you find really good locations, you can turn it into an outpost that will continually give you resources at fixed intervals to help you out, and also be a location that wards off uh, zombies by setting traps. Like there's a lot of really cool open world mechanics in there. Uh huh. And the part where you play a single player campaign is where it becomes a mess, like really fast. Uh, yeah, because they kind of pop up at random, and like, since there's such a large time element to all of it, it gets really broken if like you deviate or like take too much time, or if you don't take too much time, or if you're using zombie standard time and you have to wait around for a specific day to roll around. It's like, uh. there's a there's issues where like the main campaign missions on the on the the own, they just flat out suck. Like, there's, mm. like, no particular story. It's the most bare-bones thing ever. And then each mission itself also isn't an interesting scenario. Like, the most uh-huh. interesting th- thing that happens in the entire game is probably early on, in, like, the first half or third or whatever, you go to, like, an encampment full of these, like, renegade, asshole, like, mafia-type people, like, like redneck mafia, where, like, they're just, like, shaking people down for resources and trying to be top dog locally and everything. And right when you get there, mm-hmm. their base gets attacked by a huge zombie horde. So for your own survival, you're like boarding up windows and helping them fend off your the base against a huge invasion of attacks. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting scenario. Uh, like a little bit. Like that's like C grade, like just starting to get where the story mission should be. And it never goes past that as far as like yeah. being interesting. It's always like drive here, drop this guy off here or fight the zombies in this location real quick. And like it never like it's both both the story for the, all the story missions, both the story part and the mission part are bad because the story never goes anywhere. It's like the most bare bones, like bullet points of how a zombie story plays out. And the mm-hmm. missions themselves are always the most bare bones, like fetch quest or drive a guy here or fight these this very small handful of zombies that you've seen everywhere else anyway. And like it's it's weird how little there is to it. And yeah, it quickly becomes a weird mess where... Uh, once you finish the story mission, the next one doesn't show up right away. So you just have to wait for the next one to yep. show up in real time. And you never know how long it'll be. 
And so, like, I started... I, I, there's a mod on the PC version you can use called Zombie Standard Time, which you can use to just fast-forward time. And so I started using that just to try to make the story continue, because I'm like, I just want to play this. I'm just trying to finish the story, and the story missions aren't showing up. <laughs> and there's also a weird problem where at the end of the game, there's, like, four missions that feel like they were all one mission and should have never been four missions. Like, you, mm-hmm. dis- you discover the inciting incident thing that is, like, here's why the story is going to wrap up soon. And then you hatch a plan to resolve the story. And there are multiple missions where you just visit a location and basically just say hi to it. <laughs> like, you're like, hey, let's look at this thing. Yeah, that'll do. And then you just leave. Then you go back mm. to your base and wait for days for the next story mission to show up. It's like, if they wanted to have a good paced, well-paced story, they would be. it would be something more along the lines of like, Oh crap! Here's the reason why the story has to end, and then we gotta like we gotta scramble to solve this, and it's all like a big like it'd be it'd be just like rising tension and stuff yeah, like that. Like, like yeah, like per- a perfect example I can always use, of course, is the ending of Mass Effect One, where yeah. it's like or a uh, Suicide Squad. <laughs> you fuck. <laughs> but you get to Mass Effect One at the end, and when you reach the final location where everything's gonna start wrapping up, it's like it's like a ninety minute thing of like all these things resolving and all these big conflicts happening and twists and developments and so on. It's all it's well paced. But in mm-hmm. State of Decay ends the, over the course of four different like five minute missions that are spread out apart by potentially hours of waiting for them to show up and like it just doesn't work at all. Huh. So like I'm the game I still had a lot of fun with the game. And I spent a lot of time enjoying it. It's just the moment I tried to finish it, I was like, oh, God, this is bad. So, like, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens when they make a second game when they already know when they start the game what they're making. Yeah. <laughs> and they also have a little bit of story behind it. They couldn't. Yeah. They didn't know they were, they were going to make an MMO game. and then they well, ran out of yeah, money. They're, oh, yeah, they're, they're wow. making an MMO and they, were, they had a bunch of different plans along the way. So, like, uh, uh, State of Decay is the happy ending of what Andromeda went through. Where like, uh, yeah. so there were uh-huh. so many ideas that got scrapped along the way, and this thing changed well, course se- seven times, and eventually they're just of. like, "Fuck it, it has to come out. We can't do it anymore." Uh, <laughs> so part of it is uh, with with State of Decay is they did actually screw it up, sort of, because uh, it actually had an original release that was much worse. Yeah, um, and they they eventually just you know spent the time and made like a, a new version uh, with all the DLC packaged in and stuff. Unfortunately, I don't entirely remember how how it came about, but they managed to burn like a ton of people in doing so. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was like inarguably the the better version, I guess. Wait, you mean people may have purchased the older version and couldn't have it transferred to the new one, or what do you mean? I I think the a number of people that had bought the original version without the DLC had to rebuy the whole thing. But if you had everything, uh. Then you didn't get it. I'd have to look up the controversy again. There's a really confusing thing where, like, they put out the first version, and then they put out DLC for it, and then they put out the year one survival edition that had all the DLC in it, and they and from that point on, the only one they would update was that one. But you, Uh, yeah, uh but there was no discount or loyalty mission or our loyalty system Mm -hmm. for getting it or any way of like making it. Like you, you just had to buy it again from scratch, even though you already owned basically the same game at that point. So it's, it is a it is a bad system, and I'm like that's one of the things I have the most trouble accepting is the idea that they made a year one survival edition. When I see the state mm-hmm. that the story is in and the mission structure is in, and how many weird glitches there are that can that can like put your playthrough on hold, and you'll have to like troubleshoot for a bit to fix the problem. Like the fact that those are all in the year one survival edition, it's like 
they clearly did not rework enough of the game to justify acting like it's a new release. Nope. Mm-mm. But nope. I'm kind of hoping they've learned from that sort of. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just uh, I'm just hoping that uh, State of Decay Two has fully functional multiplayer, no dumb uh, in-game clock thing, and we can just have a fun co-op experience. That's what I hope. I don't know. Yep. yep. So uh, I guess I'll talk briefly about um, why we didn't have a podcast last week. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I went to PAX. Never been to PAX before. It's the second convention I've ever been to. It's very, very different from MAGFest. <laughs> <laughs> so the way I can think about it is like MAGFest feels like everyone is there just to have a party. Yeah. And there's also like some people hawking shit at you. But otherwise, it's just like we're going to go to concerts and we're going to like dress up and a lot of people are going to get really drunk. And, uh, that was Magfest. Um, PAX, on the other hand, is like. It's big, all it's business. Like, they mean business. It's yeah. nuts mm-hmm. at PAX. First off, it's like four times as big. There's a lot of people in a, about the same amount of space as we saw at Magfest. So it is crowded uh, at PAX. Yep. And um, it's super. The emphasis the is definitely you with <laughs> the emphasis is definitely on like selling things and like advertising things and like hyping things. Whereas with Magfest, it was kind of just like, yeah, everyone's here to have a good time. Do you have an enormous uh, button collection now? No, I didn't do the PAX pin stuff. I didn't. I didn't know anything about that. Wait, but every <laughs> single table has buttons. Uh, definitely not every single table. Free a, buttons. a lot of them do. Pack South a lot was, we had more buttons than what we knew what to do with. Oh, we also yeah. got a lot of buttons from Pax East. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably buttons. fitting enough that w- my association as an outsider with Pax is game announcements, whereas my association with MAGFest is like YouTuber panels and stuff I, like yes. that. I don't even... That's I don't even, pretty accurate, in my I opinion. I don't even know if Pax is specifically known for announcements. I usually kind of attribute that to Gamescom and E3 and whatnot. Oh, yeah. Pax E3's is much dying more about... hard. Yeah. How is it dying? Because yeah. uh, everyone's going off and doing their own stuff without E3, as far as announcements goes nowadays. Yeah, exactly. And mm. uh, So social media has become... Well, yeah. It's also happened? been literally dying, as in, like, they've been running out of attendance. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. so... What happened, uh, what happened with, uh, with E3 is a lot of the companies have been, uh, moving their, like, announcements up so they could catch the hype first. Uh-huh. And so now you will have the week before E3 that just gets flooded with, like, oh, what new game did Bethesda come out with? And so they all yeah. have their, like, they all show their hands before the actual thing shows up. And so then everybody's just like... I mean, who gives a shit now? Like, they're, like the rest of the con has been is just dropping kind of off so awkward. hard that, like, for the last one, they had to open it up to general admission. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was a disaster, oh, really? apparently, because I, I watched a, hmm. I watched, I, sh- I follow a channel called uh, Writing on Games, run by a guy named Hamish Black, and he 
attended the first public E3 and just talked about how it was a miserable experience for everyone there because they were not ready for the number of people. At some point, I think they just gave up and just let everybody in that was even near the door because they couldn't process people because like they'd been waiting in line for four hours at a thing that was broken to even check who could go in and stuff like that. Ooh, and then you get that inside and it's just like Boston. you just wait literally the entire day and not actually get to the thing that you were in line for because it was just such a nightmare and not meant for people thing that they just opened yeah. for people huh. without apparently much particular thought. I've heard no good things about the E3 that was open to the people so far and everyone just seems to have felt betrayed by the entire experience. Yeah. PAX had a lot of dev panels I think we yeah, attended. Yeah, well... The point of PAX, yeah, they did have dev panels, but I feel like the point of PAX is mostly playable demos, like actually putting a product in front of people. Uh, and merch. And kind of merch, kind of not merch. Oh, everyone was selling enamel pins this year. Yeah, so people had like a little bit of merch, but it wasn't like as heavily monetized as some of the, as some of the other conventions I've seen. Um. Yeah, so... Uh, PAX was very neat. Is not... I didn't... I didn't really know what to expect, and I didn't know what I was getting into. And uh, basically, the very first thing that I did when I went to PAX was I went to all of the big developer booths, and that might have been a bit of a mistake. But yeah. Like, first off, it's much easier it, to get to the small ones. Uh, yeah. God, yes. So I just you, it's they're all in like one hall. They're all in just like one wing of the convention center, and there's a there's it's super packed there's a bunch of people there there's like flashing lights everywhere there's fog machines going off the lines to see literally anything are crazy long like they had a nintendo switch and you could play maybe five minutes of super mario odyssey and the line for that was like four hours long you done (laughs) you done gerf gerf bursley uh gerf bursley man (laughs) There were so many people, and I, like, Ladybird can attest that, like, after about no less than, like, maybe 15 minutes of walking around there, I was just, like, I just wanted to go home. And it was, like, yeah. I've been at PAX for 10 minutes, and I want to leave, because there's so, too much. The, we were getting trick- a character named Gerf Bergsley at some point. Gerf <laughs> Bergsley. That's I, great. Oh, God. Uh, he should be a shopkeeper. I, I, I feel like it should be, uh, be, uh, Gerf Bergsley should be Bird's, um... Bird's divinity character. Okay, <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I go to PAX specifically for the uh, the indie developers, because oftentimes uh-huh. there's like a whole bunch of indie devs just all over the place that have no love compared to like all the AAA like Uber lines. Yeah, usually uh-huh. there is like an empty table and maybe two or three people from the studio there and you can talk with them. Usually one of them's the artist and one of them's a programmer and mm-hmm. get to discuss with them the game. They give you business cards and you get to take their buttons. Yeah. <laughs> Shell, Shell really likes the buttons, but like mm-hmm. um I had specifically uh gone to like has been heroes had a fairly big uh big panel i guess um not panel sorry uh they had a fairly big setup and uh-huh. it was the f- one of the first places and only places prior to the switch coming out that you could actually play on the switch mm-hmm. and i stood in line for i think about 5 minutes uh hopped on and just started playing and it was great and no problems 
and like I'd look across the across the aisle more or less at the at the Mario setup, and I'm just like, no way. Oh, not not Mario. Uh, <laughs> a Breath of the Wild because Breath of the Wild wasn't out yet. I just look across and I'd just be like. I am just so happy. I don't have to even come close to that line. And like they were like cutting people off. They were they were telling half the line to go away and all sorts of like horror yeah. stories. And I was just like, I'm having a good time today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that we so... also got to run into a couple of the indie devs that uh, we'd actually already reviewed games for, and they yeah. actually recognized us. Like, hey, you were voice acting all our characters and stuff. That was mm. cool. Yeah, so uh, basically after I did all the big booths, um, we went to check out all the indie booths, and that was so much more my style. Yep. Way, way less people, and uh, the lines were maybe five, five minute wait, ten minute wait, as opposed to multi-hour waits. And uh, there was some pretty cool booths set up. So first off, Tiny Build had a huge presence there. Uh, they're they're really hyping up um, Hello Neighbor, which I'm pretty stoked for. That's going to be a lot of fun. Really? You know, yeah. it's, I believe it's already on Steam. No, uh, they had to push it back to December. And Do you uh, need I a would... key? Yeah, sure. Okay. okay I guess I have a key a for Hello Neighbor now. <laughs> Take that key and you'll like it. How many keys do you have? So many. Uh, thing is, like, I don't. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! Is Hello Neighbor that one with the you're you somehow crawl into someone else's house and they're coming yes. after you with an axe? Yeah, the Hello I Neighbor remember. is a horror game where you're trying to break into your neighbor's basement. Oh, mm-hmm. yep. That's not very <laughs> nice. Let me see. They've nope. sent me a key. It was just a long time ago. Uh, I think I got it. Anyway, let's keep talking. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, they had to push back the release because they tried to uh, roll the engine to a new version of Unity and it broke everything. And they released a really cool blog post about talking about why exactly they um, did that, why it sucked, and how it ruined everything. It's actually kind of a neat story. Um, But anyway, so uh, next to the Tiny Build booth, there was um, a booth for... There were two booths that were pretty interesting there. There was a booth, uh, obviously, for the new Super Meat Boy game, which I actually didn't check out too much because I'm not a big fan of that series, to be totally honest. Uh, but what did catch you, my eye frankly. was a, there was a booth for the new Holy Potatoes uh, game. Uh, Holy Potatoes were in hell. And mm-hmm. I played that oh. for a couple of minutes. That was fun. It's a very, very casual it almost feels like a mobile game. It's super casual, but all the potatoes series are pretty casual like that. Wait, this, this is the one next holy feels, potato? Yeah. This one feels particularly casual, mobile. like mobile mobile. Which, it almost feels like a mobile port, honestly. Which one is this? What was the title? Holy Potatoes were in, in hell. hell. Oh, that yeah, that is a new one. Yep. I'll uh, have to bug them about it. Yeah, you can bug them about it. I named my character Wanderbot Sucks. And uh, nobody seemed to recognize it, but <laughs> uh, nobody was al- also nobody was looking at me. So I guess even when that he's aspect- a, even when he's <laughs> a far, he carries you in his heart. Yeah, holy po- <laughs> holy potatoes! What the hell? There we go. Yeah, yeah. What the uh, I I don't actually think the low level employees know about me, but uh, their the their CEO CFO whoever's in charge of the studio uh, yeah. is like bananas every time i i like start the series i was like bananas 
He would like send anyway. me personal messages and I didn't find them for like two months and I was like, oh no. Aww, oh, that's funny. Anyway, yeah, so they had a booth set up. I played their game. It was fun. Um, after that, I went to the, uh, I forget what the name of the, the, the studio is, Frozen Bite, the people that made Trine. Mm. Oh. Mm. They finished remember. their apology tour. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, burn. Yeah, Frozen Bright. I saw I saw the trailer for their new game. It it looks fun. I played it. I, it's Magica. Yeah, yeah. it's literally it? like a pretty Magica. And uh, Ladybird and I played it with two random strangers. We didn't beat the first level. We just blew each other up so much. <laughs> oh, um, but yeah, it's literally just like Magica all over again. Could be fun. I imagine we'll play it for at least like a couple episodes. Yeah, when it comes I was, out. My I heart was probably broke just twice with that company. Yeah, <laughs> once when I actually played Trine Three, and then second time when they were apologizing for Trine Three, like in a YouTube video, and I'm like, oh no, everything's See, they, sad now. They made uh, they made Has Been Heroes, and I was I was really happy with that game. I hope whatever they make, uh, the Magicka game is actually good. Yeah, no, it, it seems like it has a lot of promise, but it I, is literally Magicka. Which I think their fine. games. Yeah. I think their games are good. Like yes. generally, always good. They just suffer from too big of a scope and mm-hmm. not enough budget or time. Yeah. So anyway, they had a cool booth, um, but I didn't really spend too much time there because I lost immediately and just just like I'm just gonna get off this computer and let somebody else play this game. <laughs> uh, aside from that, I don't know. Um, there was a West of Loathing booth that I, of course, went to. That was really fun. Uh, I just walked up, and it's like the, it's just like the most low key booth I'd ever seen. It was just like the artist was sitting there with a laptop, and of course, there were tons of people playing it. Um, and they were handing out business cards that just said the Kingdom of Loathing on them, and they didn't even have there was no decoration or anything like that. I was like, wow, this was. There was nothing to it. Um, and I just sat there and talked to the artist for a little while about how he made the game. Um, he made it all... They made it in Unity, and it's all 3D, even though it's a 2D game. Apparently, it's all in 3D, actually. And uh, then they gave me a free DLC for free horse armor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I, we noticed when we went to another... so many years. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> We're still well, clinging to that. If I'm special or not, if there's a special thing, but like they, I mean, no, no, I know I'm not special because they just had a stack of free horse armor DLCs, <laughs> but I don't know if like you can just get it. Like if you just go on to Steam and download it, or like if it's actually something they hand out at cons or whatever. Well, I haven't looked was- into it at all. There was the Hand of Fate people. They were handing out cards, and most of them didn't have codes on them. They just had, you know, pictures of the items, but some people uh-huh. would actually get codes for an in-game item or an in-game By card. By the way, yeah. uh, West of Loathing's uh, horse armor DLC is not publicly available. Woo-hoo! Yeah, so it's just like a public... I'm special. Like, not a public uh, con thing, yeah. Yeah. I'm special, hooray. Anyway, um... Yeah, so I got the I got the horse armor DLC, which literally just puts armor on your horse. It does nothing else. Your horse doesn't even ever enter combat. Your horse, yep. nothing your horse, wrong with that. Your horse I mean, just sits at the edge of every level that you go to visit. I mean, you're you're aware of what they're making fun of, right? Yes, yeah, so they're making fun of Bethesda for the yeah. very first DLC they ever made. 
Horse armor for ten dollars <laughs> or twenty. It was. Whoa. It was. I think it was, it was ten dollars or five. Was yeah. it ten? I, I, was I five. thought it was five. Was it? I think it was, was it just five, cosmetic, yeah. or would it actually help your horse? It was just uh, cosmetic. I believe it was just cosmetic. They just they it was DLC was a new concept. This was like two thousand five or yeah. six or something. Yeah, and they uh, had no idea how to price it, so no. they decided to price it way too high. Yep, <laughs> like it cost half as much as uh, their entire expansion would later would cost. I think, yeah, because they made Shivering Isles. Yep. Uh, I remember in particular there was a really there was a decent uh, April Fool's Day sale for uh, Oblivion. Where they yes. they made all of Oblivion's say, uh, DLC half off, but doubled the price of horse armor. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> that was that was very funny of them. Like, mm-hmm. ah, see, we know they didn't stop us yep. from charging for it continuously for like the last five years, though. <laughs> and then trying to do it again with uh, the most recent cosmetic DLCs. But we can pretend to be hip with the kids. Yeah. yeah. Am I memeing yet? And then we're going to sue the kids, because fuck them. (laughs) (laughs) Sue the children. Sue the children. Like, Pray for the Gods is just such a sad casualty of Bethesda. Uh, They don't even... They don't deserve any of what happened to them. But yeah, man. So the the Kingdom of Loathing people, or the the West of Loathing people, were pretty cool. (coughs) Just got a chance to talk to them for a little while. Uh, See any cosplays? Tons. There was a really good and Warframe Kingdom of cosplay. cosplays. No, <laughs> people aren't that thin. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, there was a really the best one that I saw definitely was a Warframe cosplay where they looked like they looked like they were just like made of like rubber. It was yep. so cool looking. Huh? Oh yeah, and there were also there were also two people as the uh, main characters from Near Automata. That they oh. look really cool. Um, Lots of lace. Aside, yeah, yeah, a lot of lace. Aside from that, I didn't really see a whole lot of cosplayers. I mean, there was there, the thing is there were so many that like they just kind of all melded together and nobody stuck out, uh, except for people like I said, like the near ones and the Warframe ones that were super duper good. When we went to Pax South, there was. A bunch of uh, diva cosplayers. And yeah, there the were a couple why, diva cosplayers. My the favorite are the male diva is, cosplayers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I got I went by the diva photo shoot, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna stand around and watch and be kind of a creep, just because I uh-huh. want to see how many different ways people ways can you can have a Asian girl in a bodysuit, and the answer yep. was. Super generic until you got to the dude section, which was magic. Oh, like, yes. One oh, guy was wearing yes. short shorts and had painted the rest of the bodysuit on. Oh. <laughs> like I mean, they sh- just sell, like, diva costumes yeah, they and people did. just one, wear those. One yeah. one guy had very clearly, like, just put it on regardless of whether or not it fit. And he had, like, you know, stuff underneath because it just tore. And uh-huh. he just looked so proud of himself. But... I the guy that painted it on was like super magic because like he had like a bad plastic wig and like you oh could just God. see his hair through the paint and it was just like the grossest thing I'd ever <laughs> seen and he was just standing there next to the other guy wearing the you know the ripped tights and they just looked so <laughs> proud of themselves and I was like you guys no, shine man. on you crazy diamonds I saw Dude. really good Boba Fett and Judge Dredd yeah there were a lot of those kind of yeah, 
Uh, there were a couple. I think there weren't a whole lot of Boba Fett's, but there were a lot of Master Chiefs. So mm. same difference, basically. <laughs> but yeah, there were there were a couple of um, Overwatch cosplayers. They were always diva, but definitely the man divas were by far the funniest. The man divas. <laughs> yeah, man, they were so funny. Yeah. Oh, God, they were funny. Um, and everyone, everyone walking by is just like, ah, look at you. Like, I've, they're <laughs> so hyped for these dudes. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so I went up to another section of the hall. They're basically like three main ex, ex, uh, ex, expo halls and like another side annex where they do basically the YouTuber, like, you know, circle jerk hour where it's like you get to go get an autograph from Jacksepticeye or Markiplier and all those people. That's in an entirely different building, actually. It's like located a couple blocks away. So obviously I didn't do that. But um because you gotta quarantine we- off the screaming fangirls <laughs> to a separate building. <laughs> kind do of they ha- did they have the D D campaign going on? The yeah, uh, they have the tabletop free play area where people will well, play D D and no, new board games and stuff. Uh, Penny Arcade has their own kind of version of what we do with Grave of Man. If called that's the case, then I have no idea. I didn't yeah. hear about or pay attention to anything. Anything actually related to Penny Arcade, I kind of ignored. Because <laughs> I'm <laughs> yeah. not really into that comic whatsoever, so I don't know. That comic was interesting when we were in high school, maybe. I don't know. It is a very different comic than know. it was back then, that's for sure. Yep. Yeah. Back How when so? it was for game dorks to be like, like, did you get the new video card? And then they're like, it's a new, it's awesome. And like, that was the web comic. Yeah. <laughs> yep. There was comics where, yeah, they would make jokes about like the uninstall process for a game. Yeah. <laughs> that like had that were like you have to like do research to figure out what the joke was even about mm. as oh. a modern reader. <laughs> Because you're like, what? Well, there are some games that would actually plead for you not to uninstall them. I know. It it was funny. Actually, I remember playing Alpha Centauri, and if you tried to quit the game, it'd be like, please don't don't leave. The The drones drones need need you. you." (laughs) Yeah. Don't leave me here. I remember that. Uh, And then people started taking it seriously and then dying from playing too many video games. They don't, they don't let you do that anymore. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's uh, there. There was a there was another expo hall where I went up and they did something that was kind of really neat that I didn't expect them to do. They had a uh, a whole section that was just like their top ten picks of like games that you might otherwise over overlook and not check out their booths. Mm-hmm. And there was another West of Loathing booth there, so I got to like see other developers, but they were really really busy at that booth. And then there were a whole bunch of other games that I didn't actually pay too much attention to. There was one that, I don't know, they looked like they were all like very, very indie small titles that they had. But I thought it was kind of cool that they gave them a day in the sun. Uh, mm-hmm. Aside from that, um, don't really remember a whole lot. I went to a couple panels. The panels were fun. Um, the panels that I went to specifically were uh, mostly about video game as an industry specifically like if you're an indie like how do you um not starve to death and that was really interesting because um trick question (laughs) well 
<laughs> so there were two there were two panels I went to. I'll just talk about one of them because um, I talked about both of them on my podcast or on my um, vlog about it that I did. So I won't I'll repeat myself too much here. But I uh, I saw a panel given by the CEO of Tiny Build and the, uh, one of the guys from Lambeer and then another designer that I can't remember who it is. But yeah, so the a publisher and then a um, the guy who made Nuclear Throne, basically, uh, talking about how they have avoided dying while still making indie video games. And that was the weirdest panel I've ever been to in my entire life. Because... Bye. Sorry, <laughs> I, uh, I dropped something on the floor. And Bye again. What happened? Okay, I guess I'll have to figure that out later. Yeah, I dropped, going on a I dropped something on the floor, um, namely my headphones. <laughs> Your other so I was headphones? like, can't hear what people... Oh. Okay, <laughs> well, I could explain it, and now people are going to be like, but Bird, you're still wearing your headphones. I dropped a dongle that I used to plug my headphones into, um, and then my headphones became unplugged from it, which then caused my sound to come through my speakers. Which uh, is very hmm. bad for recording stuff because then uh, it gets picked up on the recording. <laughs> so anyway, it happens all the time. But anyway, uh, the guy who the the both of those guys are really eccentric. <laughs> I want to say, especially <laughs> the CEO of uh, Tiny Build. Uh, they were like, so what would you say if somebody said they want to make a, um, like they want to become an indie video game developer and the CEO of Tiny Build just said don't do that. It was like, becoming an independent video game developer is the worst idea that you can ever have for yourself. And it was just like, that was encouraging. Blunt. I mean, isn't that <laughs> isn't that the tune that a lot of that's um, what we artists, say is when somebody's like, how can I, video like, game developers, yeah. yep. writers, they, what, they always say that. I, I always think it should have like the ending clause of unless you're willing to like well, really put in the time and effort I mean, for it's it. It's what we like, always say when yeah. somebody asks about becoming a full-time YouTuber or they, they talk about their plans about like, I'm going to be a full-time YouTuber. I'm like, you can't just say that. You have to, yeah. you have to win the RNG yes. first. <laughs> <laughs> the can't just decide it preemptively i guess uh what where it's coming from is that there are a lot of other things you can do in life that you can be happy while doing them that are a lot easier than making independent video games so if you can be happy not making them then do that that's not yeah. what he said but that's like kind of the kernel of truth that's contained within that because people say that about every artistic endeavor, right? They say that about like, don't become an artist because you know, it's gonna, you're going to starve. And it's like, well, there are artists that don't starve, but um, you have to do X, Y, and Z to make that happen. Yeah. And there are much, much easier things you can do in life than X, Y, and Z to make more money. And if you're happy doing those things, then definitely do those. But if you're not, then you got to do it, right? It's and just better it's, hope they're good at it. <laughs> it's healthy to shout down the people that are way too inspirational about this stuff. Yeah. Like, 
like when I'm watching Game Grumps, a reoccurring issue is like Danny will just be like, follow your dreams and it'll work out. And it's like you have an incredibly contrived and specific series of scenarios that have led to you this exact place that you are in right now <laughs> that could have easily not happened. Because mm-hmm. he had like seemingly like like because he went like a long time, like basically like just starving and writing massive amounts of commercial music and crap like that. Like they would like he talked about recently how like they would make like. They throw they throw together like garbage music really quickly to then try to yeah. sell as what would end up being like backing tracks for like the random crap you hear in the background when somebody's at a bar or something in a Netflix show or something like that like just the uh, totally right, exactly. dispo- totally disposable like borderline stock music uh-huh. like for a while that's how they would try to make food just to eat is by yeah. mass producing that stuff and even and, that barely works <laughs> and he went such a long time with a band that I don't think was profitable for an incredibly long time. And nowadays, he has a profitable music career as a result of his Let's Play show yes. that he was brought on to that already existed before he was there. And it's like, it's there's so many specific things that have to happen for your dream thing to work out sometimes that, like, yeah. so many people don't ever get those opportunities, even when they do fully dedicate mm-hmm. to it, because the world's not Disney. And, like, yeah. just hoping and believing enough doesn't make the all the correct tiles fall into place so that you can actually do mm-hmm. the thing you want. So, like, it's, it's super it's... dangerous when people are just, like, unabashedly, like, follow your dreams, it'll work out, when they're adult enough to know that that's actually not true. Well, they don't know that, right? So many people became successes and they have no ability to see, like, how lucky they got to be to get successful. Yeah. Like, God, I can say... I would say... Um, maybe it's like, like when people say, just get a better job. It's like, <laughs> what? I would say probably 75% of people that are successful have absolutely no idea how they got there in terms of like a wide view. They can say I mean, like, oh, I worked really hard and did this thing. And then this thing happened and they became successful. But like very few of them can acknowledge like that, like, oh, this only happened because like I got really lucky and also, I was really naturally talented at it, and I happened to know this one guy, and these very specific things had to line up for me to pull this off. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I think it's interesting that you guys call it RNG, because in a way, like, sometimes <laughs> it's bit. just one person retweeting your tweet or one person yeah. sharing, like, one thing or another that you created, and suddenly yep. you are just, like, drowning in followers and stuff. It's like, ah. But yeah, that doesn't no, it really happen. Is most people because i mean i know that wander experiences this and i experience it sometimes too people are like wow you know your stuff is so good you really should have more followers and you know and then it's just like how it works "Mm." (laughs) it's not how it works the universe doesn't like just because something good doesn't mean that it's going to be a good product and if you want to be successful under the system of capitalism that we all live in if you want to make a business then you have to make a good product not a good video game or good youtube videos or good painting or or good music it has to be a good product which is a very different thing i think all of that just slapped us in the face right there (laughs) i slapped myself in the face with it like seven times there (laughs) I think part of it is for indie games and uh, for indie dev and um, and you know going into YouTube and stuff. 
you can't just go into it. You don't just start. Yeah. You have to do it on the side for a while. Otherwise, you're gonna just you're just gonna starve. Yep. <laughs> also, I think that a big reason why um, the CEO of Tiny Build in particular was so particularly cynical was uh, he is based out of Eastern Europe. And he said that in Eastern Europe, a computer programmer gets paid orders of magnitude less than a computer programmer gets paid in the United States. Computer programmer mm-hmm. in the United States makes, uh, like, on the bare, bare minimum bottom of the totem pole, like, 50000 40000 And that's if, like, they're in a low-cost-of-living city and they're also getting screwed. Like, they didn't, they're, they're getting, like, used by their company. In like Eastern Europe, developers can make maybe like uh two or three hundred dollars a month. And so he was saying like there would be these developers who would say, like, I'm going to invest all my life savings so that I can make a video game. And like if they're like, I have two thousand dollars, can I make a video game? And I'm gonna mortgage my house to do it. And he's the publisher, so he's like if I don't make this person's video game that they're self funding for four hundred dollars success they'll die. (laughs) He was like, so I'm not going to do that. And that's what he kind of said pretty emphatically. Whereas the CEO of Lambeer just said stuff like, uh, I really hate the guy that I work with, but um, yeah, he kind (laughs) of, the CEO of Lambeer, every question and every anecdote they talk about. Yeah. Yeah. He works in an anecdote about how he really, really hates uh, his partner. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god in, in Vlambeer. uh but apparently they have a really functional relationship all things considered because he said like i re- i he was like i really hate this guy i can't stand him and i also couldn't open a business with literally any other human being so <laughs> they're funny rami is a really really odd dude it was a weird yeah. panel all things considered it was <laughs> It was, like, one of the most cynical and bizarre panels I've ever been to in my entire life. But, uh, there was another panel I went to before that that was really interesting, but, um, I've already kind of talked about PAX enough, and that basically wraps up, like, um, everything I can talk about without talking about, like, more minutia and just eating up more of the podcast, so, I don't know. But, there you go. Don't chase your dreams, people. It's scary. It's bad for you. Yeah. It is. Just, uh, you know. Just be smart and take care of yourself. Chase your dreams, but um don't don't do it in such a way that you'll wreck your life if you do it, you know? Yep. Like uh I I don't know. I came close, right? Like uh <laughs> close man like uh until i had decided i was gonna do a computer science degree i basically had no discernible path for the future that was gonna wind up with me not like and i won't go into too many details about it but like i was not set up financially or securely at all up until um i suddenly realized like this is a huge problem and if i don't fix it now i'm never going to like get my life on track and like feel like I can actually do things. Um, so then I got a computer science degree and that made it okay. But like, uh, 
it sucked and i really wouldn't wish that kind of like risk on anybody so much i mean i suppose wander took a chance yeah <laughs> uh yeah i wouldn't have been where i am right now without him i i didn't exactly take a chance though i was kind of fucked to begin with and i just kind of made it work because <laughs> wonder and i both basically just happened to be doing youtube while being stuck and unemployed for a bit yeah that's how most people become youtubers they're either, com- <laughs> they're either computer programmers at youtube in their spare time or they're unemployed in the youtube in their spare time <laughs> yeah like for me for me the turning point was like you know getting rejected from multiple jobs in a row after spending a couple hundred dollars to try and apply for one that's the thing you come out of school and uh yeah uh, it's really disheartening and so like yeah. when it came down to it it wasn't like that big of a deal but it was definitely one of those where i was just like I, uh, I had, I had plans. They didn't work out. And so I was just like, I'm just going to keep doing YouTube to keep me sane. And then eventually it's like, no, wait, no, I'm doing YouTube because it actually can pay for everything. Yeah. A lot of people just do YouTube because it adds structure to the life and a thing that's like a goal oriented thing to do on a given day all the time. And then eventually they're like, oh crap, this is going somewhere. Maybe. Yeah, taking a risk would have been right now. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) taking a risk would have been me quitting my job. Yes, which yeah, I mean, you didn't have a job. Turns out jobs go away all on their own. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Keith. No, I've never getting laid off from your dream job of uh, building Excel spreadsheets. I've never been fired before. (laughs) I know. <laughs> and you may never be fired unless you fire yourself. Shit. Mm. Meta. <laughs> Is this the meta? Everyone warned me about this. <laughs> Been playing more good games lately. Yeah. There's okay. still more yeah. to talk about. I played Fidel. Uh, or we should take questions, maybe. We're well, about... We also have questions that we're Fidel's bringing in. Tiny thing to discuss. But oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, talk okay. about Fidel. Fidel's interesting. Fidel is our might be our first miss uh witness like game <laughs> yeah that's it's true a, it's a top down procedurally generated roguelite puzzle game yep. where the goal is to complete 16 floors in one run without dying but all the floors are they they're visually reminiscent of like techno dancer yeah. or ne- necro dancer uh, th- they look like necro dancer visually but your goal is to draw a line from start to finish that has the best possible outcome for yourself. So there's constant risk reward and constant balancing and stuff. So basically you play as a little dog named Fidel and Mm. you have two hearts to start off with. And when you kill things like a spider or something, you step on the spider and you lose a heart, but gain one experience. And so what you do is you try to, and, and the whole time you have a leash so the leash goes behind you and draws the path behind you that you've covered so far. So you have to do the entire floor without ever stepping on the same tile again. So it's like the witness where you're drawing mm. a singular line. And at any point, you can just press left trigger to rewind uh, to like undo X number of actions as much as you want. There's no penalty. And uh-huh. so you can keep experimenting with different paths and so on until, so you, until you get what you want. Which is, And uh, the game gives you no... The game gives you no tutorial, no... Uh, no manual no explanation no narration of like how each enemy works and what their weaknesses are or how their behavior works or like things like that 
So you have to experiment with every single mechanic yourself, much like the witness felt witness. like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes these things of like, how do I efficiently clear out this floor? Because you, you, like the, the one thing the game hints at is that like, like a, a decent number is like maybe getting 30 experience on a floor is like something the game hints at pretty early on. And mm-hmm. uh, your goal is just to get from the staircase you start on and go to the staircase that's the exit of the floor. And you can take any path you want in between, but you also want to maximize uh, how many experience points you get over the course of that floor so that you're more equipped to handle the later floors. Because the only all that experience, all that leveling up it does in this game is your experience fills up this little meter in your corner, and every time you level up, you get a full heal and then add one more maximum heart. So you go from being able to kill two things in a row to being able to kill larger numbers of things in a row, and you can it basically just changes what your options are in future floors, which changes what strategies work and don't work from floor to floor, and everything huh. works differently. Like there's vampires, which like will drain you of one hundred percent of your health. And like there's a there's a bunch of different enemies that where the thing the puzzle is figuring out how to kill the enemy, and basically there's a wrong way to kill it and a right way to kill it, and a bu- uh, so a bunch of different enemies in the game will deal two or three or more damage to you if you kill them wrong by if you just by stepping on them without doing the right the right thing in, in the process, and you'll get one experience. But if you do the right way of killing them, then you they often don't take any damage. And you get significantly more experience in, in the process. And then you also get experience for, like, doing combos, for lining up enemies together. And as time goes on, they uh, open up, like, special conditions of, like, things in the environment that you need to, like, try to collect and coordinate in order to get even more experience. It even has boss fights. So it's like, it's I like, wrote this game off thinking it was a mobile port. Nope. Or, like, basically a uh, itch.io game. Just nope. like, meh. <laughs> It has all the like. It has all the visual and progression trappings of a straight up, uh, like RPG. But then uh-huh. you, but then the process of playing it is like un, this unabashed like puzzle game that is like actually kind of intensive. And so the main the main thing that gets uh, tough about the game is that you're trying to get through the 16 floors in a row without dying. And if you die, you start the entire thing over and it re-randomizes. But you also can't infinitely experiment. Uh, uh-huh. As you're playing, a ghost will start spawning in the, your spawn point, and you'll, like there's a dr- very drawn out animation with an audio where like a ghost like a three three phase spawning thing on a timer, and there's no timer visible on the screen, but there's like an audio cue, so you can tell when the ghost is f- uh, transitioned to an- another stage and he's becoming more and more manifest. And mm-hmm. when he spawns, he will chase you down your leash until he gets to you. Oh, so and if he creepy. gets you and if he gets you that's when you start the entire game over again. So basically that becomes the timer like you're sitting there experimenting and and like optimizing your path and iterating on your plan for the floor over and over again. But then finally the ghost spawns you like, "Oh, nope, we're leaving." <laughs> like <laughs> screw that entire corner of the map. I didn't figure out how to optimize it. We are leaving now and like it and it becomes <laughs> that of like balancing risk reward of like, like a really good mechanic. Yeah, yeah it's really like it's a, really cool. It's a cool game. It's a really clever, interesting game that came out of nowhere, and I only know about it because Jonathan Blow recommended it on Twitter. Because <laughs> it ain't his game. Yeah. And he's also in the credits. In, yeah, as, they did directly cite him as like a major influence. Yeah, he's in the <clears> credits <throat> as, as the ambiguous thing called The Elders, which I think is just influences <laughs> and inspirations for the game or something like that. But yeah, it's, uh-huh. a, it's a cool game that came out of nowhere that is like both a derivative game and a incredibly 
fresh and different feeling game and that it's unabashedly taking something from the witness but m- unlike many of these like souls likes that come out like it's so thoroughly its own thing in a way that a lot of the a lot of derivative games often aren't because uh-huh. it has so much personality and identity to itself and it, its gameplay is in result not comparable to witness even though its inspiration and roots clearly are and it's yeah, it, it just it was just suddenly one of those games where like I'm thinking of it as like being one of the top five of the year potentially. Like I'm like I was thinking about Prey and Pyre and Breath of the Wild, and now I'm also thinking about Fidel as being this really <laughs> neat wow, thing that showed that's up. Kind of weird. And and just when you think you're beating the game, you still haven't beaten the game, <laughs> and that just keeps happening. The game will uh, the game responds to you beating the game by iterating on the mechanics. difficulty. Yeah, like so. It, it, not only does it, it's not, not only doesn't link, uh, bring new things in like Isaac does a little bit, but it also does stuff like give you new challenges, like the suggestion of, uh-huh. ooh, can you beat it that way though, and get different huh. endings and stuff like that. You guys need to check it out. <laughs> that needs to happen. I'm commanding you as if, if that's what's going to man, <laughs> if time. <laughs> so I'm kind of in the same boat. It's not as like probably well made, but I I picked up a game the other day called A Robot Named Fight, which is a a roguelike Metroidvania, but actually succeeds at it. Where you know all the previous ones have failed. Where it like it really does feel like a Metroidvania through and through. I mean, it's the character moves like Samus, shoots like Samus, except for you can shoot. Looks like Samus. Yeah, it's. It's like it's very obviously like derivative. It's very derivative. much a Metroidvania. <laughs> yeah, but like I have a hard time caring because I'm playing uh-huh. it. I'm like, oh, this is actually like legitimately a very good game, uh, through and through. And it does the exact same thing. You beat it, and it's just like you have uh, you have triggered the fleshing, and the entire level just like gets grosser for the next yeah. round. And yeah, it is gross, but it is. Mm-hmm. I mean kind of how the game works and i really appreciated it because it's just like oh hey yeah so i have fleshening yeah so <laughs> now that now the game has become harder and as such i'm gonna have to like i mean not even adjust i just have to keep going but i i guess it really is if you if you mixed uh metroid game with just i don't know let's go with binding of isaac because it pretty much is binding of isaac so my last run of the light, night last night, I had triple shot and uh, uber size shots, and so I was fighting shot, uh, firing three shots about the size of the screen, uh, at this like giant fleshy monstrosity up in the sky, and I was like, "This is this is fun. I like this. This is way more enjoyable than I thought it was going to be. I, I thought it was going to be, you know, just kind of an attempt at a roguelike, mm-hmm. and then it ended up being anything but." Which I really appreciated. Tell me why this flesh monster in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any questions? I don't know if people ask questions anymore. They don't. <laughs> Probably because we stopped answering don't. them. Send your questions to shit. <laughs> Fournerds at gmail.com slash YouTube. I just want to double check. Four no. nerds questions at gmail.com or just spam them in chat right now and maybe somebody will pick one up. <laughs> well, but do like, we have a huge backlog? Questions. We have some backlog, but not a lot. And a lot of them are from the same people over. Like, oftentimes it's one person emailing us like 10 questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Max Damage asks, what game did you start and decide was bad or too hard, but continued playing the game 
through some strange miracle just to see it through? Such as Wanderbot's Rain World. Yeah. <laughs> Rain World was definitely one I would say for Wander. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I mean, sad God. games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have the hardest time even talking about Rain World because it was just such a torture that I just saw through because I didn't have... It's not that I didn't have a choice, but at the time I didn't have any other games that like would have really fit in the slot anyway. Uh-huh. Um, comboed with like kind of the knowledge that I'm one of the only people that's actually covering this game. Uh, so eventually I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to suffer through it. And actually once I got like, once I got past the, the initial hell, it actually got a lot better save for like one or two very choice moments. I noticed that were... I didn't start watching until you'd played that game for maybe like a couple of hours. And a lot of the mechanics that people hated, like the karma system didn't seem to ever slow you down uh so part of it is you started watching me after the point where i doubled my karma limit uh and learned how to farm so like at the very beginning of the game it's it it explains none of its mechanics which i think is actually one of the game's biggest failings it was trying to be like dark souls and be like Uh you know you'll kind of you're you're on your own here good luck um which i think is always a bad move if you're yeah. yeah if you're not prepared to deal with it i guess cuz like it definitely did not have enough early on to kind of show you the ropes like you know how mario uh-huh. kind of teaches you slowly yeah. how how to play how to jump and move and stuff yeah how to jump and move and whatnot yep. yeah and i don't think uh rain world was particularly successful at that and so a lot of people just wrote it off Mm-hmm. Uh, which is unfortunate because it actually was like a, a fairly quality product. It's just you had to slog through about an hour of hell. And then you hit kind of a pretty smooth point. You're like, okay, yeah, I, I can do this. And then you hit hell again. And you're like, ah, uh, you go back to hating the game it for got, a little while. Yeah, that game got so, so rough. Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's a game about exploration, and it's also a game where you replay the same segments over and over and over again. Yeah, and we don't bother to reconcile how much how anathemic to the game replaying it is. Have fun. It's exactly but the I kind can't... of niche, brutal, weird experience that exactly creates the kind of uh, cult audience that it has. Yeah. yeah. Uh, part of it is also they had like super vague storytelling that like made no sense. I, Bird, I think you showed up for the ending, right? Yeah. You, uh, <laughs> I remember, um, the ending kind of had like a very like, um, like fertilization overtones with like all the guys swimming towards the egg and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was it just was like, weird. <laughs> it was really weird. And I remember. Uh, I was just yelling at you in chat, like, go fertilize the egg wander. And then, like, all of a sudden, there was this other one that was, like, so much faster than Enjoy you. Enjoy that. It just started tumbler. swimming. It just started swimming past wander. And, like, everybody in chat just started yelling at that one. Uh, aside from that, that game's story was pretty bullshit. Yeah. So there's actually, uh, there's actually, like, a group of other guys that were actively. Uh, going out of their way 
to yeah. try and figure out what the actual story was. Turns and out I there read was it, like and it was great. It was a cool story. Why didn't they yeah. tell it? <laughs> yeah, that was that is always like the biggest problem I have have with the this like style of storytelling. It's like, oh, we have this really cool story that like people really would like to know. But because Dark Souls was really successful at not telling their story, we're not going to tell ours either. And I'm just like, uh-huh. you morons, they succeeded because they made Other the story. Things. Yeah, well, yeah, the gameplay was something that you could lean on, obviously. Like, you'll find some very stubborn people that will claim otherwise on a regular basis, but the story is not why Dark Souls is successful at all. No. Who the hell's claimed that? Oh, but oh. if you ever say that the story of Dark Souls is not important to the experience or to its success, <laughs> boy, oh boy, will there be a billion people that talk to you about how the lore is the only reason they play and all this other nonsense. And it's like, you you can be you, uh-huh. but you're detached as hell from actual world <laughs> at that point. Uh-huh. I, I can't reconcile some people sometimes. <laughs> so for the question for me, like, I just... I have a huge history of of starting games then being like, well, this is bad, and then just powering through because I enjoy bad things on a different level as opposed to not enjoying them. Uh huh. So like, I, I I enjoy experiencing bad media. Just I just sort of so like once I once I realize what I'm dealing with, I just kind of flip a switch in my head. I'm yeah. like, all right, well, this is what we're dealing with now. That's fine. And it's then, the uh, Mystery Science Theater three thousand lever exactly pulling your brain. <laughs> I think you, you, for me, I still have to have, like, the ability to have fun as part of it being bad. Yep. Um, there are definitively games that are just so bad that you can't even squeeze the fun juices out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at you, uh, what was that? What was that shitty, no, what was the Magicite? That's the one. Oh, that game if sucked. It, it was awful. I had the experience like, of being the only person who had realized yet that it sucked at one point. Yeah. Well, part <laughs> like, of that was, I was like, like trying to convince the other people I was playing with. I'm like, you, you realize this game is bad, right? Oh, we got to wait for later when you realize later, I guess. Because I'm like, this is garbage. <laughs> like immediately. I That was still at the time where I wasn't like be, being honest if I disliked games or not. Because people would always like get really yeah. mad at me if I disliked stuff. Oh uh, yeah, I, and, I remember playing Dungeon Robot or whatever, and you trying to pretend that wasn't the most miserable, awful product <laughs> ever made. Dungeon uh, Robot. <laughs> Which was Dungeon Robot? It's like Dungeons and Robots or something. Yeah, Dungeons and oh. Robots on Steam was like, yeah. it was nothing. Every was... room was a circle, and every boss was a bullet sponge, and it was a dual stick shooter with no tactics and a blatant Skinner box and no no real mechanics and no exploration to do and procedural generation that was meaningless because every room was just a circle attached to other circles by hallways and like it was just a total like game shouldn't exist. <laughs> and Part I was like, guys remember when we played uh, Necropolis? Yeah, <laughs> I, I I wanted to talk about that today. I, I've actually mentioned it. Maybe too much this week, but um, uh, the crop so was interesting because everyone had to have a step by step realization of like when it tri- when it triggers for you that it's actually a bad game. Yeah, uh, I it, couldn't it, even it play it at the it time. It wears the skin of a great. Game. Oh yeah, you had the worst performance issues. So I just had to let you guys play it on your own because 
I Necrop- couldn't play. Like Necropolis is like a good game died, and then a bad <gasps> game burrowed into its skin and walked around as it for a while. Yeah. So like yeah. For, you you you, could, you can be f- so convinced it's good for a while, but by the time you're done with your first place, you're just like, this was a disaster. Yep. <laughs> oh no. Ew. Um. But so for the people that haven't heard me talk about this yet. Uh, if you haven't heard about it, this is a game made by Hairbrain Schemes, you know, the guys behind the Shadowrun yeah. uh, revival trilogy that were a- actually good. I heard I the li- first I one liked, had some I kind liked of Shadowrun patches, Hong Kong. But, mm. Yeah, and I heard all the other ones were great. I've played uh, Shadowrun Returns, which was amazing, but Necropolis came out, and I was like, okay, I can get into this. The idea of a Souls-like, you know, roguelike is really cool. And then Keith played it all in what four hours, five hours, and it was miserable. And boss then fight. they came up with, yeah, yeah <laughs> that was final bad. boss fights. Like in case you hadn't realized how much of a mess this thing was, here's your last clue, because that last <laughs> boss fight is a disaster, and you can't get through it and still think the game was like competently put together. And ah. so then they came out with an update, so we tried it again. Which I mean, the update did help. Like, it kind of maybe put it, like, a step closer to not being a bad game. Um, Just. It really didn't, uh, though. It really no. just added one. It added a handful of new monsters, one or liked, two different types of floors. I was able to at least beat the one that they, yeah, like, updated. The game was playable. Yeah. I mean, I we, have low we standards. Beat, we beat the we, we beat it when it wasn't updated. No, we didn't. Yeah. Maybe, well, that was, uh, maybe you all did, was, but I ostensibly well, remember we, just sticking a stick in the mud and being like, "I'm not playing this game again." <laughs> we ran, we ran into the issue where uh, we two of us had already beaten the game, and we were trying to wrangle Bird and Shell to do it. But it was like there was like a an asymmetry of experience, and also like Shell having a fundamental lack of understanding of how like to even navigate menus and stuff. So like it was like we couldn't. No. We it couldn't was also, get it to work. I was lagging. I was lagging way too yeah, much. Yeah, she was on. She yeah. was on my old laptop, which was. Uh, so I would do a dodge roll or something, and then die, die, and it's like, oh, uh, yeah, I can't before, play this. This was before Bird had played much of the uh, Dark Soul stuff that would later happen too. So it was like two of us had an, an intuitive understanding of how the game worked already, and then right. two of us were like, uh, "What do I do? This is stupid. Everything's great. How, what button is roll?" And then. We made it like one floor. <laughs> it, it was yeah. not a. It was not going to work. I think. I think we were also friendly firing each other a lot more often in that in that session, which was not helpful for the art uh, pre existing problems. Um, but so they did that one one update for well, I'd say for better or worse. Um, and I Brutal looked recently. Edition. Yeah, I and they said, you know, we have more updates coming along the way, more features, it'll be fun <laughs> uh, and exciting. No, they didn't. Um, <laughs> top review on the game right now is devs went out for cigarettes and haven't come back. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I I was I was looking at uh at their Twitter and finding some more stuff and uh apparently they've given up on the game entirely in favor of working on the new BattleTech game which does actually look kind of great but I'm like I don't know I I've I've lost a lot of faith in them as a developer for abandoning Necropolis even though it was probably the right thing to do I think it's uh, what bothers me about the situation isn't the fact that they've abandoned it so much as 
they silently abandoned it. I'd I'd be much happier if they just yeah. said, "Hey, we fucked up. We we made a bad game, and we're going to uh, we're just going to accept that that we did this. And you know, if you have Necropolis, here's some Shadowrun games to make up for it, or maybe like a discount on the next one because, uh, sorry. Oh, thank God, BattleTech is turn based. Yeah. None of the screen no, it, sh- the screenshots made it look like another like another action game. I'm like, I don't have confidence. I don't really have much confidence in this developer f- making real time games. Like they're like the weird thing about Necropolis is like, why aren't you playing to your strengths? Because like they made Shadowrun and it's like it's a turn based XCOM like strategy game that Bauer- that uses an existing universe and just has tons of writing is basically their foundation. But then they went to Necropolis, where it's like they have basically no universe and basically no writing, and the whole game's in real time with an attempt at Souls-like combat, and also they were doing procedural generation, which they didn't seem to know how to do either, and it's like there was just like a fundamental, like, not playing to any of your strengths situation that seemed to be happening. So at least Battletech looks like it's turn-based. Yeah, it is turn-based. Unfortunately, it looks like they're actually going for more of a competitive multiplayer thing. Uh-oh. Uh which yeah is super <laughs> scary. Because uh-huh. uh I I was listening to the devs talk about it at E3 and they're like, yeah, so after you finish the campaign, you'll still have your base, you'll still have your everything, and then you can move on to the multiplayer segment, uh and continue on. And I'm just like, I oh, oh, that's bad. Was I'm Googling yeah. right now. Was it a, oh it was a Kickstarter too. So they so they've done five Kickstarters now. Was That's... Necropolis kickstarted? Yep. <gasps> yeah, this is uh dangerous. Yeah. If they uh <laughs> there's just a certain thing of like if they keep uh if they keep not having these projects pan out, like if this becomes the new trend, then there's just kind of like a threat of like what if their audience kind of stops supporting their Kickstarters at some point? Then they cease to work mm-hmm. as a company. Because like Necropolis was a game where, like, they promised updates and they promised this product and they, they kind of eventually just, like, eh, screw it, and they just left. And right. I get it, because it probably was kind of an unworkable project, but, like, you still sold it to people? Mm-hmm. And I get, like, it, and you're torn there, right? Because you're an indie dev, so at that, point, at that point when you're an indie dev, you're stuck with, like, we can't just make stuff and then not put it out because then we die. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh-huh. But if you make out stuff and then put it out and it's bad and then you don't support it and you don't fix it and you don't iterate on things, then you can kind of feel like you're, it feels like you're betraying your audience and then they mm-hmm. might stop coming back. And then it's Wait, like, you, like- you, you can get stuck in a really bad spot. Like it's really, like it's really dangerous not to stick with what you're good at as a developer in the case of like, like, like with Shadowrun, for example, if like, yeah, if you're a company that completely relies on the goodwill of its audience to stay afloat because they keep doing Kickstarters constantly for every product like mm-hmm. that, this could this could go bad if they don't nail it with the next few games. Well, I mean, at least they have that going for them because in the old days, if your company had like a bad release, you just sold it. You just died. <laughs> you just were like, well, you know. Like how Platinum almost was died. It. Yeah. Like yeah. Platinum almost died they're they're known from being one of like the cool like one of the really like top tier developers of making really good products and they almost died because of one bad project essentially because like they put all that all the that work and resources into shadow run i mean into scale bound (laughs) 
and then it just gets canceled and then they just they they were going to go under like that was it (laughs) they were we were going to lose we were going to lose uh platinum just like that if it wasn't for the fact that near just completely killed it yeah like if if near didn't nail it then we might not have platinum anymore and we we might not be seeing any more bayonetta did you all know that the Philips CDI ended up making Philips lose a, over a billion dollars. Wow. How, how do you lose a billion dollars in the 90s? Were there, uh, were there even countries that had a billion dollars? Well, the, oh, I, I oh, remember wait, the specific Philips? update. Yeah. Like, I, like the Philips Electronics? Yeah, Philips is in like the people that made your granddad's TV. They made yeah. a, a video game console that lost them a billion dollars. People well, we only remember had a it. Philips be- TV or VCR. Everybody yeah. did. People only remember the CDI <laughs> because it may have those really bad Zelda games on it. Oh, they're so bad. Though. Yeah, it's hard to state how bad they are. They're so bad. That's, that's hard to think about because I just remember like I remember reading in Game Informer at some point, and I was like driving mm-hmm. home from work or something. So it was like recent enough ago, at least like like at least mm-hmm. in the last ten years was when this must have happened. Uh, I wasn't driving home reading Game Informer, but I mean, like I was driving home. Right. Thinking, I have the, I have the memory of thinking about this while driving home. Was like, wow, the video game industry is a billion dollar industry now for the first time. <laughs> and the Philips because CDI of the was like 20, losing a billion dollars. I, I no no because that I was like at working age when mm-hmm. the video game industry became a billion dollar industry, and the right. Philips uh-huh. CDI was like twenty years before that. How did they lose a billion dollars <laughs> on a thing that's not even a billion dollar industry yet? What the fuck? Well, maybe because they had all of their other electronics and then they invested it poorly. We knew a company could be yeah. worse than THQ on that kind of call. Yeah. Like, I, bet, yeah. I bet that they lost more money in the Philips CDI than Atari lost during the video game crash. Jesus. In crash. Oh, man. Lost money. What was that video game crash? Because we have an Atari at uh, home. Oh, revenues. Whoa, holy crap. Wow. Revenues peaked at $3.2 billion in 1983, then fell to around $100 million by 1985. A drop mm. of almost ninety-seven percent. Wait, video games had re- had be- already be- reached the billions in the eighties. Yeah, I mean, Man, was it is it possible that crash that- was real? <laughs> is what? it possible because that all the people that could or wanted to afford a game console purchased it, and then they didn't have an incentive to get all like the games later? Was there not really no, something to drive sales? It's just interest dropped. Interest uh, dropped, well, and yeah. some products really sucked. So the issue is that basically video games were new and they and everyone liked them, but they weren't very good, so they were a fad. And mm-hmm. basically companies were m- overestimating how much money they were going to make and they basically it was a bubble. It was just a dot com bubble basically. Like it was just any other market bubble out there or it just bubbled and then it popped. And uh boy did it pop. <laughs> You know, what's actually interesting is that um, the uh, craft beer industry almost uh, went through something, something, (coughs) excuse me, something similar a couple of years ago. Yeah. (coughs) Something all of a sudden got stuck in my throat, probably dirt or dust or something. Tell me about your micro brews. (laughs) Anyway, micro brews, um, they uh, about two or three years ago, basically a um, 
a bad harvest killed um hops fields like across the entire United States and mm-hmm. all of a sudden nobody had the materials to make beer anymore uh so and then like right up to that uh microbreweries they were returning on investments by like a couple hundred percent or something and usually like that's the best sign of a bubble burst about to burst is when um stuff is growing really rapidly and then all of a sudden something happens that looks like it's going to kill the entire industry so basically almost every microbrewery except for like the really big secured ones uh almost went out of business except that what the sam adams brewing company does is they keep a stockpile of hops on them at all times in the event that uh something like this happens and so Mm -hmm. the sam adams brewing company uh realized like there's this economic principle where um you know, competition, if you, if your company doesn't have competition, that can be good for you. And it can also be really bad for you. And in the instance of Sam Adams, if all the microbreweries go out of business, Sam Adams was probably poised to go out of business as well because they would just, people would just stop drinking beer. They so did they go to sell drink. their hops to the other companies? Yeah. Or? So that's what they did. So Sam Adams, Sam Adams basically single-handedly started selling hops to all the microbreweries just enough to keep them afloat and make sure they didn't go out of business so that they could rebound a couple months later when the hops harvest picked up again. And uh, they basically saved the microbrewing industry um, using their reserve of hops. So, yeah. But did that help them in the long run? Yes. I mean, oh, definitely. Still going. They're all around. Sam Adams is still around. Because the thing is, like, okay, all the microbreweries go out of business. People aren't going to necessarily be like, I want to drink Sam Adams now. They're just going to stop drinking, basically. And so Sam Adams loses business that way. So they uh, wouldn't benefit from being the only beer around? No, Most likely not. not, no. If would Coke was the only soda, people would probably lose interest in soda real fast. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, if all, the, if all the sodas except for Coke went out of business, then Coke would probably, like dramatically lose business as a result but coke has its own flavors within its company wouldn't matter because there's no way they don't they own sprite and other things yeah Yeah. but there's no way they'd be able to like keep on top of demand right apparently um you've blacklisted cat noises from your chat wander i assume it's the mal I assume it's the Mau Maus. Yeah, yeah. That's because that's my language. Why? Did we say Mau at one point? No, people... Yeah, you did. Somebody casually came by and was like, I just got blacklisted for going meow in Wander's chat. Do you want to explain, like, <laughs> why that happened? And I was like... No. I was Wander like, definitely uh, doesn't want to explain that because it came up on <laughs> a previous podcast or something and, like, Shell started explaining this meow meow language and then Wander was like, I need to end this conversation immediately. Never bring this up again. Uh, he was, like, mortified that it was coming a light to the, to the public. <laughs> So yeah, I'm not going to explain why, but cat noises are banned from Wander's chat. <laughs> yep. Well, it's a dog, dog only chat. Well, I'm surprised that Nye hasn't been banned. Have you banned Nye? Oh, well, because that's, that's hilarious. hilarious. That's not embarrassing. So, 
Yeah, here's the thing. I don't ban words. My mods do. They got sick of it before I did. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. Oh, best uh, outcome. So I think that's a much more fun story to end the podcast on than a gross one. Unless somebody really has a gross story they really are dying to tell. Oh, uh, well, we were actually walking on a so trail. Excited. A hiking trail. Uh, I suppose you wanted to take your mom somewhere. Yeah, my mom visited like a month ago. Yeah, and it was interesting. I never knew there were so many varieties of plants and animals out here in like Kansas because I, I'm from New York and there's just endless forests there. So it's like, ah, ah, there are a lot of animals in the Northeast. There can't be that many hiding in the grass, right? It was more insects. We had seen so many insects that I had never laid eyes on before. And the cicadas were actually flying around. It's interesting. Usually they, you only hear them in the trees. But we were walking around and there was just fresh piles of poop on the ground. What kind of creature made these piles? I, I do not know. Because it was sort of... They actually looked like the kind of uh, fecal matter that you would see, what, with a little curly cue on top? Yeah, like exactly. dogs. Gotcha. <laughs> so it was probably some kind of carnivorous creature. It didn't look at all like an herbivore made these. But we saw dung beetles. And they were so tiny and iridescent and cute. And they already had little balls rolled up. And they were just trying to, like, pat things down and extricate, e e extricate the balls from the larger pile. And we saw two such piles with dung beetles in them. And I was just thinking to myself, how, where do these guys, like, find the poo? Like, how do they find the poo? They and probably they smell it from migrate a long way away. from, like, a long ways off, or are there just more dung beetles that we couldn't see somewhere out there? Because I couldn't imagine them just being like, oh, there's something in the distance. What and if they, there's, like, like, a thriving dung beetle, like, culture and colony beneath the earth? And then one day they finally make contact with humanity and they're like, oh, we call you like the gods of the surface. What do you call us? And we're like, we call you dung beetles. And then that's how the great dung beetle war starts. From their perspective. It's funny because they're like no more than an inch long. And in all the documentaries you see, I mean, maybe maybe African dung beetles are different than our little American ones. But they just always make them look massive in the uh -huh. nature videos. And these guys were just, they they're were only like, an inch long. Sir, and they're rolling dung is but a small part of dung beetle culture. <laughs> we have theater, music, and dancing. And you refer to us with such disrespect? <laughs> Damn. Dung beetles are... Like... Now do they gather They're actually to tiny. tuck wow. stuff somewhere and then lay their eggs on it? Or do they eat it? Like, why do they roll them up into balls and carry them away? Do they have a place know. to store it? Uh, they, no, I think that's they the whole their, story. They, they roll they, them up and then they carry them away. <laughs> no, they, they lay their eggs in the dung. Right, but they have to carry them to a safe well, spot. Well, yeah. And then their babies eat it. I see. Yep. Dung beetles How are currently the only here? known non-human animal to navigate and orient themselves using the Milky Way. What? 
They, anyway, they if can... you have any questions, send them to uh, fournerdsquestions no, at gmail.com. <laughs> How would they orient themselves based on the Milky Way? We, we are in the Milky Way. Three. Did you know that dung beetles but are in they fact They can't even see stars. Countdown. Did Three. you know that dung beetles are coming to Necropolis Two. in the new update? 